Disney returns to Oz, MTV changes animation, and Nick Cage and Sam Jackson remind us of racist radio this week on 302010! Welcome to 302010, everyone, the Laser Time Network show that takes you on a journey across 30, 20, and 10 years of uh, pop culture's greatest milestones, anniversaries, and bizarro news and releases. And Jesus, do we have a lot of those this week. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman. And to give you the theme of this episode, I think it's Honky Be Trippin'. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, go ahead, JR. And I'm JR Rawls, and... Don't waste your time looking back, Carl Yargosian. You're not going that way. Yeah. Wait, our entire podcast is based on looking True. back. Ignore me. Ignore. <laughs> is this a great week to lie and say me and JR are African-American gentlemen so we can speak with authority on a couple of these? <laughs> People don't know what we look like for sure. Um, and anyway. This Facebook is be... sometimes thinks I'm African-American. I have no idea why, but I get these ads saying, find your African ancestry. Oh, cool. I would much yeah. prefer that because I went to a Disney park once, and now Facebook, YouTube, and Google think that's all I ever want to do is spend time in the Orlando area. Meet Shamu before he or she's gone. Like, stop sending me all this. These theme park people are the most irate people in the world with disposable income. Shut up. Enjoy your roller coasters. <laughs> Sorry. Enough of this deviation. Yeah. They got my ads pegged. Hey, you want to see some more behind-the-scenes stuff from Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio? Yes. Of course you do. Like, yes, I, I do. do. I <laughs> can't promise I'm gearing up for an Oscar show, but I just had to get Pinocchio in there. I did just did that yesterday with the behind-the-scenes stuff, and it is that huge Pinocchio thing is so cool uh, that they made for Jiminy or uh, Sebastian the Cricket. Mm-hmm. Let's say sorry. That's this is not. This is not uh, three weeks ago. This is 30, 2010. Dog. My bad. My bad. Because there's a lot to get into this week that I want to talk about. Kind of three things in general, if I'm being honest. Three things that made me question, is this terrible or just the weirdest thing that's ever existed? And I don't have the answer. Maybe you guys can help. I'm pretty sure it's terrible. I t- yeah. <laughs> there's three yeah. of them, though. <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, Got to thank our patrons right at the bat. Patreon.com slash laser time. Uh, should have that King of Comedy episode by the time you hear this. And give us five bucks, over hundreds of bonus podcasts. Uh, we'll let you pick subjects of stuff. It's fun. Bye. Patreon.com slash laser time. Let's get into 302010 where we look back at the world 30, 20, and 10 years ago. And beginning this week where we are, March 3rd through the 9th in 1993, 2003, and 2013. So 30, 20, 10 years ago from this week. Got it? Good. Let's go. A uh, little bit of news to bring you into the world of 30 years ago. Lots of celebrity news. Catherine Hepburn is admitted to the hospital suffering from exhaustion. Yeah. Now, normally when you're admitted to a hospital and you're a sub- celebrity and you're admitted for exhaustion, mm-hmm. um, it usually means drug overdose. Yeah. I cannot find confirmation on that 30 years later. <laughs> it, it, was, is... it was not. It was called being 85, man. She was, yeah. she, she was an old timer and everyone's like, well, she's... Oh, no, this is it. We're about to lose her. Ha <laughs> ha, sucker. She went another 10 years. And I didn't know until, um, what did I call him? Human Titanic Ezra Miller, that you can't be <laughs> fired 
through Hollywood unions if you enter in a hospital from for any kind of rehab while you're doing that. You cannot. So that dude is could be holding on to his flash roll. <laughs> Sorry, that person could be holding on to their flash roll for an indefinite period of time. I never knew that. So that. It makes a lot more sense when you read those stories. You're being a basket case on set. You should be fired. You can't fire me. I went to the hospital. And then there's a lot of negative PR that extends from that should you fire that person. I'm better now. Anyway, um, yeah, I didn't go to the hospital. I'm still bad. Still hurts. So <laughs> speaking. Going to the hospital is better than, yeah, I don't know, waving a knife around on set or freaking out or something. Kidnapping a young child. Yeah, don't yeah. do those things. Yeah, don't do any of those. Go to things. the hospital if you're thinking of doing those things. Go to the hospital. Could be fun. They have uh, they have TCM there. I found that out the hard way. Stupid appendix. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> and then there was no better time to watch 2001: A Space Odyssey when I'm hooked to machines that are beeping slowly and breathing <laughs> on my behalf. When I'm watching 2001, is <laughs> awesome. I filmed it. Also in celeb news this week, different strokes actor Todd Bridges arrested for stabbing a tenant in a don't remember if this is the thing that opened the floodgates of controversy no. or is no, that this is, this is the end of the floodgates of oh, controversy wow. he he has pending drug charges he'd already dealt with uh shooting a guy uh, but this is right when he gets clean because he's got the pending drug charges and he's huh. renting out a room to some dude and uh, tells the guy and his girlfriend, like, hey, stop arguing. You know, it's really loud. Go outside. And the tenant pulls a sword. Hello? What? <laughs> and, uh, Was it at least Bridges... a samurai sword? Because that would make so. it I in our hearts. Mm -hmm. Let's was. just pretend it was. And Todd Bridges defended himself with a kitchen knife and ended up stabbing the guy. And Whew. yeah, they ended up dropping the charges. They're like, no, that actually was self-defense. Good on you, TV. But yeah, he cleaned up his act after this and uh, good on him. It's uh, one of those not, things not that so with some of the other cast. Looking back in hindsight, I can't tell if the different strokes child cast was super fucked up or yes, it was. <laughs> thanks, Jr. Or <laughs> or it was one of those things where like, oh, this news is performing very well for us in the tabloids. We are going to follow them like hawks and mm -hmm. try and cover everything that happened. This, these are things that happen to a I, lot of famous people. Stabbings, though. Yes, yeah, I mean are, multiple are... stabbings don't happen to that many <laughs> people, Chris. I, don't I know said wonder. Crowd. I said wonder. I was giving it the benefit of the doubt, and I think I saw maybe that Whitney Houston and Bobby Brown gave birth this week. Oh, that that also could have happened. A little Bobby. Little, little Bobby. Oh, Wrong oh. accent. Um, or right accent for the next segment. For the yes, for the TV segment of this episode. Ah, oh, I can do walking off in my tool shed. Something Hank Hill would never say. Um, let's get into the movies of 1993 because let me be clear. This is all I want to talk about. Um, <laughs> this is why I thought this show would be fun to do in the first place. Things I vaguely remembered uh, that nobody talks about anymore. Falling down. Uh, is still number one at the box office, which I find bizarre because both this week and last week felt like, is this Hollywood putting out a 70s movie? But it also feels two of these movies are like, these are 80s scripts that were held on to for a very long time. This feels like it's being released in the wrong decade. And I'm not even talking about the first two. Best of the best two with Eric Roberts and returning, I think, and Chris Penn. I saw Best of the Best one, and I loved it. It was one of the first live-action movies I ever loved as a little kid. James Earl Jones. Oh, yeah. A team yeah. is not a team unless they give a damn about one another. I don't know why. I thought I would have tattooed that on my little 10-year-old like shoulder if I could have. Uh, best of the Best 2. 
yeah, we got a long time till we get to a sequel, and and it's just more karateing this time. It's underground <laughs> gladiator stuff. Um, Blood sports. No one liked it. Everyone watched it. Was like, why didn't this go direct to video? And of course, that's exactly what's going to happen <laughs> for the next for like five. <laughs> eight more movies. God, the best of the yeah. best. A, a title that really doesn't describe very well what the movie is at it all. It could be anything. It could, yeah, it could yeah, be Julia Child uh, or something. <laughs> it could be anything. <laughs> Another title that got me mad confused, Kenneth Branagh, Barbara Hershey, Robert Sean Leonard, and Christian Bale in Swing Kids. Excuse me? Is this what I think it is? Yes. The last spoken lines of this film are Swing Heil. Swing Heil. <laughs> they were best friends. Until they were forced to choose. Your loyalty is to the Fuhrer above all else. Between surrendering their freedom. We didn't want to join, we had to. He had to. What's your excuse? I'm his friend. And holding on to their friendship. Come on, Peter! Give me your hand! You follow my lead like always. Okay. We'll get through. Nazis, this is not newsies. I'm no. led to believe. <laughs> okay. That was my confusion. So <laughs> this was, I get what they were going for. But I really think it failed on the S execution big time. Okay, this is all about basically hipsters in Nazi Germany. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. it, it, it's it's accurate. These are young kids, usually from wealthy families, a lot of disposable time on their ham, with they spend, uh, you know, going to the hippest nightclubs, listening to the most avant-garde music, which in the early 1930s Black is, jazz. you know, American jazz. <laughs> Black jazz. Mm -hmm. They really don't like the Nazis because of the Nazis' taste in music. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's where it starts. Yeah, and I, I I appreciate like I was sort of rolled my eyes at this movie, but I feel like that we think of, or at least you know, most kids think of Nazis as just like the bad guys for movies. Mm -hmm. They're they're bad guys, and we don't think too much about their ideology. Except I guess they hate everyone, and this is more about how kids especially disaffected young men get drawn into fascism mm -hmm. but it's coded in this kind of goofy way of like what do you mean you don't love jazz anymore <laughs> what do you mean you're gonna yeah. hang out with the hitler youth you start to sound like them oh no you don't appreciate benny goodman it's like oh jazz is the music of blacks and jews and i'm like uh yes good <laughs> there there was one scene in this movie, which if more of the movie had been like that, I think it could have been a really stellar movie. It's one of the swing kids who lost his father. And one of the Nazis goes up to him and says, you know, I lost my father too in the Great War. And I was lost and I didn't know what to do. And I really didn't have a purpose. Then I found something. Mm. And you can find it too. Mm. And it's like, oh, Oh, yeah. okay, movie, you've got something here, but it just, it doesn't go with it. Yeah, it doesn't quite go. And I just, I get frustrated with it because like the, the there is a point where, you know, they're, the, it's, it's like the late mid thirties or late thirties. They don't really have a choice of whether or not they, you, you can't be anti-Nazi that will get you killed. So like joining the military, don't have a huge choice, but like, how much do you actually believe it? And there's a point where like Robert Sean Leonard, he's pretty much against the Nazis. And then he like accidentally runs into people who work in the underground against them. And instead of joining up with them and actually doing something, his answer is, well, I know they're going to raid my club. I'm going to go have fun one last time. And I'm like, you chicken shit motherfucker. <laughs> What the fuck? Your friends are Nazis are dead right now. And the answer is not one last dance. 
<laughs> the answer is get me guns. Yeah. The... Sending messages, start acting like you're a true believer and start helping people. God damn it. The movie ends with the swing kids defeated and the scroll at the end of the film says the swing kids were defeated, but a new generation of swing kids would arise to defeat the Nazis. And I'm just sitting there going, you know, really sure. The red (laughs) army kind of helped slightly more than your swing kids. Never going to swing again. Can't swing no more. I got. Sorry, this is ridiculous. Yeah, that's true. The the armies, <laughs> the armies the of the galaxy the entire world, <laughs> maybe played a little more than the swing kids. Just saying. A little bit. No, this... I, it's fine. As you know, baby's first introduction to this time period, and the, you know, relating to concerns about teenagers in other times. I mean, if you want a good movie about how do people become radicalized into fascism the tv movie the oh. wave oh yep that's yeah, great that is a recommend his first nazi film show yeah. that to kids before they actually learn about the mm. nazis so they're going mm. in not knowing about that small scene and yeah. in, in the oscar nominated all quiet on the western front like what else are we gonna do do it pussy my dad said no do it idiot come on we're all doing this it's gonna be great. Good. It's gonna be fun. It's gonna. <laughs> it's gonna be an adventure. Peer pressure. Peer pressure. Uh, Peer pressure is bad, and banning music and art is bad. If you're on a side that wants to ban art and music, you're on the bad guy's side. Usually, yeah. And uh, yep. I think it's, and it's yes. Benny Goodman is obviously going to <laughs> ruin people's. Half of those songs don't have words. It, it, it is funny. Just whenever I see like Fox News. Beyonce, I'm like, do you think your message is going to outlive Beyonce? Everybody's going to look up you like the enemy in 30 years and or not remember you at all and Beyonce will live on. Don't be idiots. Don't try and pill yourself against art. Nope. Unless it's Dilbert. That thing sucks. Uh, but, <laughs> but, oh, but it shouldn't surprise no, what, you. What a stupid timeline. We live in. <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, It shouldn't surprise you because like, it also confused me. This is a Disney joint trying to disney trying to handle this the people who had just brought us homeward bound trying to tackle the subject of young men entering in the nazis of course they don't it's i did not know how bad this reviewed roger ebert put it on his most hated one of his most hated movies of Mm -hmm. the year list uh people fucking hated this movie i don't think it was that bad i think just I, I think he had problems with the ending like I did. And he was just yeah. like, what is this movie trying to say? And that's right. not even how is the movie about the Nazi kids? Not the most problematic movie of our show. Oh, my. God. <laughs> All right. I'm going to damn with some really faint praise right now. Sure. So I finally did watch this movie, which I was always even 30 years ago, saw the title of and was shocked that in the year of our Lord, 1993, we were still doing this. And it was better than I expected. It, but what I expected was something that was going to make me flip a car. Well, I expected something different as well because we talked about it and like this movie has been lightly buried by whoever the fucks owns it. But you can rent it for fourteen ninety nine <laughs> in standard <laughs> definition. It It is like there are clearly barriers being put up to seeing this film. I found it on sale on Amazon for two ninety nine as opposed to three ninety nine. Very confusing. Michael Lerner, Brad Dorif, Dabney Coleman, Samuel L. Jackson, Nicolas Cage. I remember seeing this trailer and title and previews, and I just said to myself, this looks terrible, and I had no idea what the extent of it was. Ladies and gentlemen, Amos and Andrew. 
When world-famous author Andrew Sterling came to town, to the locals no! gave him the traditional island welcome. <laughs> and now there's only one man who can help him. I have a shotgun. You have a frying pan. We're gangsters. We're outlaws. We're in this together now, right? You and me, Amos and Andrew. Let's go. Don't say that. Amos and Andrew. This film is not yet rated. And he, even as a little kid, I, I knew... Something of the 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 title is kind of the most problematic thing of the movie. No, the most problematic thing is it's based on a true story. Oh wow, oh, really? No, really. Uh, so it involved Doctor Beverly McLean, a black college professor, perched house in New Jersey in 1989. The neighbors saw her and her husband moving furniture into the house, took them for burglars, called the police. The police surrounded the house and ordered the couple to come out with their hands out. It uh, sparked a little brief media news thing. And then everything was resolved. (laughs) Nothing like that ever happened again. No black guy ever held his keys up and it was mistaken to be a gun. And let me say right off the, dude, there, I, I I didn't, what I really didn't expect is a couple laugh out loud moments in this movie, especially because I've never seen this before. And I watch a lot of old stuff. I, it's it's a PG thirteen movie. Its first descriptor was blackface. <laughs> that, that's yeah. that was its content twice. warning. Twi- at least twice. At least twice blackface. with with Chucky and Nick Cage and <laughs> poor yeah, Brad Dourif. Right. But but so... but like it, it's there. <laughs> there are things about this movie that are fine. I don't know why they titled it this. I don't know who they thought was going to get this reference to Amos and it Andy. It was a more well-known reference 30 years ago. I suppose. That's that's for dang sure because there were still some people, you know, remembered the fi- the show from the 1950s. There was a TV show. There's a- that one actually starred black people, but the radio show that goes back to 1928 Yes. starred white people doing imagine the worst stereotypical accent you can think of and Here's then boss. increase it by about 75%. <laughs> I, I'm not even. I no, it's even it, it is it, it is out there. I didn't there. Even want to play a clip. I went looking for a clip. I don't even want to play it. Amos oh no 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 no! Too fucking far. Because the, as a property, yeah, this extended from the the mid twenties until the sixties. Forty years of these characters played by different people, and the weirdest one I saw, it went from a serial to a sitcom on the radio, and then they were just DJs. These characters introducing pop music to you. <laughs> that, yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah, and it's it's so it's annoying because I've I've seen a bunch of the TV show and my parents tried to defend it saying like it's how is this any better or worse than the honeymooners? And it's like because no one watches the honeymooners and says, "Oh, white people are so silly." Mm. Like they're they're the characters if you they're, they're broad comedic stereotypes already. It's the race issue that makes it like, "Oh, God, this is too much." So the idea to make a, a comedy about racism with this title is just—it's—it's batshit. And to, and to, to, to me, it's it 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 be, it's might be—I don't want to say recommended, but it's it's fascinating in its ham-handedness. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's here's the thing: is I, I got about halfway through the movie, and and I thought about what Jr. said in the past about remake bad movies. Yeah. This is a premise that oh, yeah. deserves to a, a good movie. Jordan Peele could is, make a great movie out of this. Oh, yeah. The oh. premise is that uh, Samuel L. Jackson is 
a respected black writer and academic. He buys a house on, I guess it's Martha's Vineyard, they never say. Yeah. The neighbors <laughs> see him, immediately call the cops, thinking he's there stealing stuff. The cops show up and start opening fire on him immediately. They realize who he is. They realize they need to cover this up. So they get and a cop, jailbird Nick. The cop jailbird. played by Brad Dourif puts on black, black makeup on his face. He's like, night protocol. I'm like, I accepted that. I hope that doesn't still happen anywhere. <laughs> So oh. even the black guy has to say, I think a black guy shot at me. Yeah. <laughs> so there's there's like. But then they decide like, OK, let's send in jailbird Nicolas Cage. We'll make a deal with him. Be like, oh, no, I was actually the burglar. Give yourself up and we'll just put you on a bus out of town and no one will ask any questions. It's like you shot up a man's house. Yeah. <laughs> There was a journalist on the scene. It, what's what's really weird, it, it I think 30 years on, is that it takes pretty damn serious subject matter that I think I will say as like I was not paying attention to up until some of our more recent strife. Uh, again, this yes. was based on a real incident and it did, you know, there was no Twitter. So when it was a national news story, it ran for, you know, three nights, a couple and days and moved on. But but they they use very real racial problems as fucking banana peels in a pg movie that like is wildly uncomfortable and then crazily will have its moments and i think nick cage is playing a very charismatic weirdly non-racist character a guy who's ignorant who thinks he's in the wrong country uh for, for, which i thought was a hilarious line he thought he had made it to canada by getting to this island yeah Bob Balaban made me laugh out loud. Okay, Bob Balaban, I should have put him in the credits. Yeah, he he was definitely the biggest laugh for me as the hostage negotiator who really just wants to like talk about his own problems yes. and like his ninth birthday party and how it traumatized him. Like that was a running gag that totally worked. And but uh, okay, and I think but the low point though is is they. They've established that Samuel Jackson is, is a very successful writer and academic. He's written, I think he won the Pulitzer for his play, uh, Yo Brother, Where Art Thou? Already. Okay, you got you got half, extra half a star just for that joke. But then there's a point where Nicolas Cage is like, you know what your problem is? You think white guys caused all your problems. Yeah. And really, this is reverse racism. He has said and done nothing to indicate this. Y yes. Nothing. Yeah, And there's, because I, I think he Sam Jackson ends up having one of the more thankless roles and they give him some nuance, but his, you know, he kind of just has to play, I'm the militant black guy. And he has some decent backstory, but like, yeah. really, this There's movie could be solved by black writers and black directors and black producers. <laughs> it would have been, yeah. you could make this movie today and it might work, but like, this is yeah. fascinating. It's a uh, fascinating then, film. One, one thing I was really fascinated by is Giancarlo Esposito. Uh, shows up for like half a second yeah. because anytime there is a movie about race in the 80s or 90s you have to have like an Al Sharpton character show yes. up there has to be a preacher who likes to manipulate the media and probably doesn't actually believe what he says and he just riles up all those people he's doing his do the right thing again uh, and that goes nowhere there's no joke right. to it nothing happens it's just there because that's what people thought of black activism. I want it's like we just had riots about this for fuck's sake. I want more stories about the making of this film because it does suggest <laughs> things were cut and reshot. That certain can you imagine what these I'm gonna say these people as in the white producers, what they thought was inappropriate to be in this movie. That probably will never see the light of day. Because mm -mm. two major actors spend a lot of time in blackface gags during this film. It, it is wild, wild and bizarre. 
with some decent laughs. That was the most shocking thing. I expected to cringe the whole time. And I, I again, Roger Ebert was like, I, I hate it when he just says something so succinctly. Like, this is, the subject matter is too difficult to be a lighthearted comedy, and it's not edgy enough to be a black comedy. And I was going to say, if you made it a black comedy, yeah, you know, that could work. A darker a comedy, like something with a, an R-rated comedy. edge, and, and where, yeah. where these characters talked about these issues, because they kind of never do. And, yeah. and the only character experiences any growth. <laughs> no one really experiences yeah. any growth. Yeah. Not really. Just bad guys get their comeuppance. But I appreciate you bringing up Jordan Peele because there's the one thing that I did like about this. This does not take place in a stereotypical Deep South. It takes place in New England Mm -hmm. full of limousine liberals. You know, they're they're people who think they are not racist doing racist shit. You know, they would have voted for Obama a third time. I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, I appreciate (laughs) you're trying to do something here, but Jesus Christ, you are failing. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, someone take this idea and remake it into something good. Holy please. shit. And change the title. Change the title. It, it, does, it wouldn't even take that much work with computers today to control F for both the characters' names. It wouldn't have to harken back to one of the most disgusting pop cultural phenomenons of, uh, of America's infancy. Uh, it, unbelievable. It, it just, uh. It's so fucking weird. It, and I, I, I don't think... It will deeply offend anybody. I just encourage anybody who has any interest in moving depictions of races. This is a (laughs) weird one that no one ever discusses. And and, uh, it it is like I just had my hand over my chest throughout most of this film. Like, (laughs) fuck me. Oh, my God. How did anybody, anybody work again knowing this movie exists? And there's a reason why it looks like it's never been like remastered. Released in widescreen, no one's really wanted to approach this subject matter or retouch this movie. And I would be more than fascinated to hear what Nick Cage or Sam Jackson have to say about this. And yeah, and this, I, I really would too. I love that we're getting Samuel L. Jackson in these leading roles now, yeah. or at least buddy roles because we already had Loaded Weapon mm-hmm. doing comedies, and no one's quite sure what to do with him yet. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of not gonna for a while. Yeah. But, you know, but yeah, you suck at build for Amos and Andrew. Good for you. Whew. And um, man, I don't know about you. I think my biggest laugh is literally when the titles start rolling because it's the 90s. So there is a rap song that summarizes the movie. Uh, I sir mix a lot. Oh, no. Yeah. He's not here to explain himself either. They accuse me of robbing myself. Never seen a brother with wealth. Hell, <laughs> I was big and now I'm trapped in a house because the cops got my crib staked out. The police chief is running for commissioner, but if I get out of this chief, I'm getting ya. Chief needs a gun. Wow, that is just the plot of the- it mentions Dabney Coleman's character. <laughs> this is yeah. I this is one of the most fascinating things I'd ever seen for this podcast <laughs> that I'd never seen before. And I might have said that about the next movie too. Like because I watched it earlier in the week. But I had I had seen that movie. It just again rings weird and different 30 years on and not for the reasons it's mostly mentioned which is for the casting a straight role from bill murray right after ground i just this doesn't feel like it's made in the same decade as groundhog day no Uh, no he 
coming off of Groundhog Day, I was the biggest Bill Murray fan in the world because mm-hmm. day one, I loved Groundhog Day. It was instantly one of my favorite movies. And after that, I was like, I'm going to see every movie this Bill yeah. Murray makes. You know, I knew him from Ghostbusters, right. but he wasn't actually like a star in my mind until Groundhog Day. No. And then I was like, I'm going to see everything this guy makes. I like reminding I this. reminding <laughs> viewers he he was in a ton of movies and in 1984, 85, just said, I'm not working anymore and didn't come back until Scrooge and would sort of come back every two or three years and make something kind of timeless. And in between, do something like this that, you know, I, I just rated R. I couldn't see this. Kathy Baker, David Caruso, Bill Murray, Uma Thurman, Robert De Niro in Mad Dog and Glory. He's a gangster. They call me Frank the Money Store. Who'd rather be a comic? You hear me? Uh, no. I knew it! I knew it! I knew it! And when Mad Dog saved his life... You like some candy? Why don't you give him a back rub while you're at it? He returned the favor. He wants me to be your friend for a week. So what do you do for him? You sleep with him? I don't think he has sex. Where'd you hear that? Robert De Niro, Uma Thurman, Bill Murray. What do you think of my act? Mad Dog and Glory. Rated R. This is, again... A movie that I remember kind of being marketed as charming, but deeply uncomfortable now. And just like, there's a reason we don't come, people probably don't comfort view this film. It's deeply bizarre. It kind of makes me think of the original version of the Pretty Woman script that Mm -hmm. was like much darker and weirder. Because that's kind of what this is. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's, you know, a a nebbishy cop saves a, a gangster and the gangster gives him a woman. But really, the appeal is first <laughs> <the> casting. <laughs> and, and whatever it was. It was a nebbish, yeah. and Bill Murray is a fucking gangster. And, and the, the casting is weird, and it does lead me to believe, like, what was it about Uma Thurman? Just every single role she's taking, she has to be with, like, a man twice her age for several years. Mm-hmm. Hollywood was obsessed with this lady and I I didn't I mean I think she's gorgeous and and and, and wonderful now but like it is a little creepy that she keeps get, getting roles like this where she's got to sleep with some old ass movie star She was 22 Was she? Yeah. De Niro's um De Niro was pushing 50. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And he, and because De Niro saves Bill Murray from a shit a robbery, a Bill Murray, the gangster who's also an aspiring stand-up comedian featuring a performance from the late, great Bells, Richard Belzer Munch. Oh, I was very happy to see him pop and, up in this. And he's making jokes about Costa Nostra. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that's like his opening thing. And the whole point of the mob is that you're not supposed to talk about the yes. mafia. <laughs> Do you remember what, to- I, JR, you have to remember what Tony said to Christopher. Like, like you better get this shit out of your head. Like, I can't tell you, he can't go around telling these stories in Hollywood. You'll get killed. And here's Bill Murray inviting his whole crew to the goddamn (laughs) punchline, just doing bits on the mafia. (sighs) So again, this is, this and Amos and Andrew are like, I can't tell if this is weird or terrible. It. I I didn't like it. I I didn't didn't like it when I was 14 and I don't like it today. I rewatched it for the show and I was just like, there's not enough here. This is, again, it's. This should have either been a really dark, this should have been a dark comedy. Yeah. I think if they would have gone full on dark, that's the only way you could have really made this presentation engaging. And that's. You know how we fix this, actually, is we combine this with a movie we're going to talk about from 2003. The mobster gives, gifts him a woman and she's really annoying and he can't get rid of her. See, there you go. There you go. go. That's, that's the, 
that's the thing now. And the only the only reshoots that would make it more interesting. But this is written by Richard Price, who wrote freaking Clockers and Lunch yeah. Light. It's 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 a Scorsese <gasps> joint technically. That. Scorsese shepherded this film okay. for De Niro to be in. It, it doesn't make any sense. There's a reason why people don't talk about it that often because it's not really the role you want to see any of these people in. And I think the only <laughs> significant reshoots I saw were like. Bill Murray beats the shit out of Robert De Niro and like there's no way the audience is gonna buy that Raging Bull is gonna get beat up by Peter Venkman let's get in here and reshoot this <laughs> and like like JR said like that would be darker like if he somehow doesn't die after getting the shit kicked out of him the, the real gangster shows up and beats the shit out of him the movie doesn't do that and it and it sort of like leans away from its R rating and tries to be something charming and a romantic comedy. I'm like, this is a hostage situation. What the fuck? All of this is illegal. No one should fall in love like this. It, it, it just, yeah, it's, it's, it makes me feel much older than I am that this was presented to be liked by everyone 30 years ago. It is. Yeah. I, I remember it as being a bomb, but the reviews were like, Oh, this is charming. Yeah. I'm like, is it? It's a, it's a mafia a movie with the heart. Movie? Yeah. <laughs> But she says she's not a prostitute. She's pay- but she is paying off a debt. She's paying off a debt um, on her back. Well, Ew. she's just supposed to do stuff for. She sh- said she has to do stuff for Robert De Niro, who plays a character named Mad Dog, who is very even keeled. It's it's again miscasting all around. Like if they switched roles, it might have been more interesting. Bill Murray and Uma Thurman. I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that definitely would have been interesting. It all would have been more interesting. If you there's, just... there's another version there where the mobster thinks that the, the Nebuchadnezzar guy must be gay and gives him, you know, a twink for the week. I... <laughs> but, but then he's happy because he has someone to play chess with. I don't know. There, I've I've written you two other versions of this movie. Man, like, we... Hollywood, call us. We, we will fix make... your 30 year old movies. <laughs> Remake bad movies. Yeah. And, and th- th- I think that's why, like, I'm kind of holding these aloft here because when you see something that's so deeply weird and somehow gets through the process and remains weird, there is something respectable about both Amos and Andrew in this fucking movie, despite be- being very difficult to call good. But like, they're not they're, good. Neither of them but are there's, good. JR, there's yeah. nothing else like these things. And they have their moments. When I find something so weird, I can't stop looking at it as opposed to like, man, I watched all a sniper with the rock. I'm like, eh, this checks all the boxes for a fucking rock movie, but it's, bo- it's technically boring. Nothing about this was ever boring. Cause I'm like, how the fuck did the script get here? <laughs> how, did, how did we end up like this? Uh, it, it was fascinating to me, both of those films. And I will shut up now. Cause there's still somehow more in this decade. We have to talk about that is more impactful to me. Not a sports guy, but as we move into TV, I can't deny the ESPYs are, they're a big deal. I see clips from the ESPYs. How about that? That's because they usually get Norm MacDonald or somebody else to make sports people uncomfortable, and I'll watch those clips. But the first ever ESPYs, the highlight being Jimmy Valvano's speech while accepting the inaugural Arthur Ashe Courage and Humanity. I don't know what any of these things are. I know who Arthur oh. Ashe is. Yeah, I know who Arthur Ashe is, I but hope. I, Jimmy Valvano, this is the first time I'm reading his name. Basketball player, coach, broadcaster, and... Uh, he was very, very sick at the time. He he died mm. like a month later, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And but, uh, oh. yeah, SB Awards. Because, yeah, sports nerds deserve to have an, a, an awards show. Sure. Yeah. It's not just, it. you know, the, the NBA draft or stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, like every, the, I think every the other. The Heisman Trophy Award. Nah. Most other award sure. shows were like Hall of Fame, you've been retired for years, or it's the draft, or it's done officially 
you know, by like the NFL and like who the f- ESPN, there'd been no like wide body like ESPN to administer awards to numerous athletes across a bunch of sports in different categories. Yeah. It's, it's, it's I can see why it, it could exist. And then some uh, weird sitcoms that I remember oddly fondly getting first up being getting by on ABC, getting by. Follows the lives of a working class African-American family in Chicago. And it's fairly generic, honestly, but I tried to watch one episode and it has the harshest insult I have ever heard in a cheesy sitcom. Okay, all in the family, this is not, so here's the clip. God forbid you should have any more children, you unfit mother. I don't believe I've heard many people called an unfit mother. (laughs) Yes. God damn. Yeah, so you could call someone a shitbag. You can use uh, scatological and other swear words at someone if you say to someone just something so blunt as you're an unfit mother oh boy mm. <laughs> you better be prepared yeah. to have burned that bridge for life how did I, that is i'm not even a mother right. and if someone called me an unfit mother <laughs> i'm breaking something off that they're losing an ear yeah i'm so fucking pissed and your and your baby your fur baby will probably tear an ankle out Oh, no, he'll just bark really hard. And one of these days, the bark will actually kill someone. He's just practicing as hard as he can. Now, it looks like getting by, you know, it's uh, a black family and like a white single mom played by Cindy Williams, RIP. And it, we're, we're slotting more stuff into TGIF and seeing if it'll take off. Um, eh, whatever. Um, and, and well, that, that and I, I love the next sitcom for some reason. I think it was the lead who ended up being like the closest thing to like a 60s Disney uh, contract player I can remember in my lifetime. But Where I Live debuts on ABC and it's a lot about inner city, the inner city black experience, experience and the inner city uh, black immigrant experience. Yeah, mm. that's the thing. Okay, I looked it up in uh, 1990, 10.6% of the total black population in the U.S. were immigrants. In 2019, it's 9.3%. So virtually unchanged for 30 years. That's pretty stable over a 30-year period. Hmm. But the black immigrant experience is not shown hardly at all. Mm. That is just not something explored, and that's about 10% of the black population. So I thought it was really interesting that this sitcom tackled that experience experience and it's it does it in a you know 1993 cheesy sitcom way but this is a clip of a jamaican immigrant trying to get his assimilated american son interested in his jamaican roots (laughs) douglas that wonderful piece of folklore that you hold in your hands is called a calendar stick Mm. now during slavery the custom of calendar fighting was brought from africa to the islands and on my island, some of the ancient stick fighters are legends. Oh, you mean like in that movie when Robin Hood knocks the guy off the log? No, I do not mean like in any Hollywood movie. I'm teaching you a spiritual tradition. This is not a stick. This is your heritage. Sorry, Dan. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> so, so nothing groundbreaking. It's 1993 sitcom. But it's tackling something no other sitcom was tackling at the time. So good on you. I um, I will I'm say. Like, take this seriously, Dougie Doug. I'm trying to tell you something. I will say, and this is not going to reflect well on me. I mean, I'm a little kid growing up in the South. And I have a, I mean, a probably in a middle school that's like probably 50% white and black. But neither on TV or in school had I seen dreads ever. Hmm. Huh. 
and wow. until this show. And I distinctly remember I like this show. Everyone I, I knew liked this show. And it, I think it only I looked up, it only airs like 20 episodes, but over the period of like three years, like, but if you were watching ABC in that time slot, you'd randomly see this show. And I remember it being entertaining. So I just remember a girl showed up with dreads and my white buddy pointed like, and said where I live. And I was like, holy, <laughs> laughed. I, yeah, I get it. Cause that's the only frame of reference we had. It makes me feel like white people are always doing whatever black people think we're doing when I say stories like that. I do, but whatever. That, that, that our my frame of reference for dreads was this character. I'd never seen wow. it before. And, and, and I, looking back on other black sitcoms, I'm not crazy. There wasn't a lot of long hair. Period. On on mm, on no, anybody. No, I feel that. Uh... On, I don't know. I'm speaking from ignorance here, but I feel like it was a lot more popular in the later '90s yeah. than it was in the '80s. Yeah, it was. It was the first time I'd, I'd seen that, and um, and shit, I forgot where I was going with that. But uh, oh yeah, Dougie Doug, the the main, the lead of the show on ABC, he would go on to be in Cool Runnings and That Darn Cat in Operation. He was like in almost every live action Disney movie, and I've always remembered his name. <laughs> And I don't know that other other people who weren't raised on where I live did, but like I, I really liked him as the lead. It's something about him I really dug when I was uh, twelve years old, uh, going on thirteen. Where I live though is thirty years old, and what I know I wasn't watching right now, but this would change what I watched forever. Oh, the day, honey, yeah. honey, I this is another one of these where I get to like The Simpsons. I was a day zero. Viewer. Yeah, I saw this before it was a show. Yeah, I saw it when it was frog baseball. Yeah, so... and also inbred Jed's home hoedown. Yes, <laughs> and I was like, those are made by the same guy, and he's getting a show. No fucking way. These were whispers, but ladies and gentlemen. still love that theme song for some reason even though it's not a genre of music i'd ever listened to the beavis and butthead theme <laughs> can i divert for just a second yeah i was looking up where does this theme song come from i really wanted to find out it so was... i looked it up and it turns out it's just my judge, judge just playing wrote it. yeah he's just it, it just just wrote it just something my judge but, wrote. The, the, but googling stuff about beavis and butthead and music besides talking about music videos there was an interview with the composer for both Beavis and Butthead do America and Beavis and Butthead do the universe. And I just want everyone to enjoy this factoid with me. For Beavis and Butthead do the universe, the composer intentionally got a 69-piece orchestra. Wow. <laughs> I mean, nice, I say, my, <laughs> someone who enjo enjoys the symphony so much. quite. The quite. 70th guy showed up. They're like, get the fuck get out. out of here. We don't need a bassoon. <laughs> anyway, Beavis and Butthead. I love them so much. So I was a, I was a big cartoon <laughs> fan. And at, at the time before DVD and the internet, adult animation was one of those things you'd whisper, hear whispered about. I remember there was an independent video store and I could see like behind the counter, was that Fritz the Cat or Shame of the Jungle with John Belushi? What are those things? These dirty, cursy, innuendo-laden cartoons because they don't fucking exist. And, I, and people had... <laughs> I had heard whispers of Beavis and Butthead on Liquid Television, but given the nature of Liquid Television, which when you complain about mu music videos editing on MTV, you can't tell anybody when anything's going to be on. You can't say watch Liquid Television and expect this because you just won't get it. Liquid Television was for anima short animation what MTV was for music videos. You never know what's going to be on. And all of a sudden, 
a couple of my friends, like, you really got to see the show Beavis and Butthead. They're, look at me, I'm stroking my wiener and he's rubbing his hot dog at lunch. And like, well, this is the kind of humor I need in my life on a regular basis. And cable was very, very light on cartoons. It's astonishing to me the time in between the Nicktoons, which is pretty much cable's first stab at making an animated series. It's less than 18 months. And yeah, it's a Beavis and Butthead. Controversies started to happen like day one mm-hmm. after this aired. I mean, mm-hmm. people were up in arms over the content. And then there was the fake scandal. Yes. I say fake mm-hmm. because it's in a lie. The, the, it was a lie. Mm-hmm. A woman with a long history of drug problems said that her kid started a fire because he was watching Beavis and Butthead. The problem with this is that she didn't have cable television. Yep. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And in the uh, decades since, people have tracked down the boy who is alleged to have uh, started a fire from Beavis and Butthead. And he's like, no, my mom has a serious drug problem. We never had cable. I didn't know what Beavis and Butthead was. Mm -hmm. That is no basis in reality. That's what the kid is saying. But in 1993, news outlets, newspapers, MTV is uh, encouraging arson because uh, Beavis's catchphrase was fire, 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 fire. fire." Which he didn't didn't stop saying right away, but did eventually. Because I love. Well, they phased it out. They tried to have him say things fire like. So like he'd go to the burger joint Mm -hmm. and look at the thing making french fries and go fryer 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 (laughs) (laughs) or the 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 episode in particular they're talking about i think is when they spray hairspray over a lighter in they're in Mm. class and they and and i think he sprays butthead they cut the part out where he sprays the fire but then the show just starts with butthead burnt to like being black (laughs) and and is totally unexplained but thing uh, is idiot boys actually do love fire. I yes, mean, that did. is a thing stupid do, boys. Man. Yeah. We left our house every day at I 12 never, with a cup I of gasoline. I never knew a girl growing up to play with fire, honestly. Fire. Yeah. It happens? Hi. Yeah. Uh, candles, yeah. candles, oh. come on. Listen to Tori Amos mm-hmm. burning their hands and shit. That's different from like, <laughs> hey, I'm going to see what happens when True. I spray this hairspray on this flaming rag that I uh, made catch on fire by putting it on the oven for five minutes. Or when, when let's see when we had the bright idea to take a cup of gasoline and let's try and make the tire streaks from Back to the Future oh, in, no. in oh, a yeah. in a dry field of brown grass. Oh no! <laughs> okay, kids, if you ever listen to this episode, Daddy is playing a character now. <laughs> when I was young, I came across a bunch of gasoline in my garage. I put it in a spray bottle and sprayed it on a fire. If I had been just slightly more unlucky, I could have easily burned myself to a crisp. Yep. 100%. Yep. But but beyond beyond those controversies, I don't remember. I looked up MTV's schedule this week. And Mm -hmm. like the idea of what, and I I think I obsess over this too much in the show and you guys might be tired of it. So stop me if I get too boring. Like the the identity of MTV, the, the death of MTV's identity used to be music videos, whatever happened to them. MTV in prime time this week had a show called Classic MTV. And can you imagine in 1993, the week after Radiohead's Creep comes out, like, ah, it's AHA and Men Without Hats. Like, <laughs> I'm not watching that shit. <laughs> I'm not watching that shit at all. And and, and I, I remember Beavis and Butthead because Ren and Stimpy was like, tune in every Sunday at like 1, 1, a.m., 1 p.m. You might get a new episode. Beavis and Butthead was every day at 7, at 7 yeah. p.m. 
Yeah. And and I I'd start watching that, and I got into MTV through Beavis and Butthead, and then to me MTV changed and basically created the soundtrack of my youth. Not most of which doesn't inc- include music videos. The gangster rap mm. alternative period, sure, but like. Everything that MTV does after this that I really like and revere, from the state to the head to the max, uh, to something like Clone High, like uh, Jackass, uh, Tom Green Show, Andy Dick Show, all the stuff I really like to watch was on MTV. And, it, it, and, and not only that, like making cartoon shows for adults, what I like now, certain Netflix shows, Adult Swim, that is all because of Beavis and Butthead. All of it. See, I, yeah. I really feel like the animation in America changed so incredibly Mm -hmm. between the four years of the Simpsons premiering in 1989 and everyone was so shocked. And then Ren and Stimpy shocked people even more. And then the kapow of Beavis and Butthead was just like full on. Oh my gosh. Cartoons are 100% not just for little kids anymore. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it, and it had to have been weird, and I can see why people would freak out because if Beavis and Butthead looks like it's going to become as popular as The Simpsons was a few years ago, you have to imagine teachers like, I don't want shirts with a bunch of curse words and kids screaming <laughs> in you. And I get it. Like, I, I would. These are yeah. horrible role models. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I, they're I, garbage I would not want. People. They're <laughs> garbage people. I mean, the that's t- the joke. <laughs> Beavis and Butthead are a parody of yep. what a generation raised on MTV would look like. Exactly. But young kids are stupid. Mm-hmm. And if something is popular, they will imitate the popular thing, even if that popularity is due to the fact th- that they're being stupid. I, I love that because yep. I've seen, I love Mike Judge interviews because he's so open and honest about everything. One, MTV paid him absolute shit. Garbage. And he, and he just has, you know, he sort of kind of talks like an adult butthead, like, you know, they weren't paying me anything. And I was sort of like, you know, um, I'm the head writer and I'm the voice of the guys. So maybe you should pay me. So he like, you know, he ended up getting like this amazing deal after in contract, he was like getting $7,000 a year from Beavis and Butthead. Like something, <laughs> if you hear from people who worked at MTV during this period, you would assume they were rich. They were the opposite. They were usually very, very, very poor. And, uh, and that he got the voice of Butthead is the generic, you know, I, I sounded like that when I was like fourteen. I don't want to. I don't want to emote too much. But Beavis, I love. He's like they. They had like a twenty-five-year-old teacher show up one day, and she was very attractive. And he just noticed his friend like couldn't contain himself and was just. <laughs> <laughs> and like, if she'd say anything slightly, uh, then you grab this with your hand. <laughs> And in a world without porn, yes, your out. What would be your outlet? I, I feel for that kid. But yeah, Mike Judge has some great stories about the creation of this. This goes until what ninety seven gets a major motion mm-hmm. picture that's a huge success. Several video games and gets resurrected twice. And I am endlessly shocked. I would. This would have been the first show of my youth that I would have said this. There's no way this will hold up. It holds up. These characters somehow hold up wonderfully because they're yeah. Yeah, because they're stupid. Being stupid is always going to be interesting. If you look at the most recent Beavis and Butthead movie, they work because they're stupid and oblivious. Yes. And that's what worked with the original Beavis and Butthead movie. They're they're, being chased by the CIA, and you think, well, these two guys who don't want to leave their couch are never going to be able to (laughs) be starring in a movie where they're being chased by the CIA. But it works because they don't know it because they're that dumb. Cavity searches don't stop until you reach the back of their teeth. Uh, <laughs> I love that movie. Yeah, I think that, that was, yeah, go, going back, it was weird. 
was watching early Beavis and Butthead, and I love how it's, I mean, it's barely animated. That's one of the, <laughs> I, the things that I find very charming about it is that th- this is made for very little money and the animation is terrible. But I was also very happy, especially in 1993, is like, this is overlapping with all my favorite things. Yes. It's animated. Uh, it's got weird in jokes and they're watching something and commenting on it like mystery science theater they're, like, they're, they're everything obs- is coming together ah, so they're obsessed with flea and butthole surfers and in literally made white zombie bootsy collins. like yeah bootsy collins <laughs> bootsy, bootsy. it's bootsy <laughs> <laughs> and and i think diane and i have said that like in the new versions, because they resurrected it in 2011. I remember I flew into New York mm-hmm. and I'm driving from the airport and there's a 40-story Beavis and Butthead scaling a building because they're back. Because he, oh Mike Judd has always had like, they were never really canceled. There's just like a, yeah, open offer. If you want to come back and do more Beavis and Butthead, do it whenever. It's never, it always seems to work. And the new Paramount Plus show, I'm happy to report, and that Do the Universe movie is fucking hilarious. It, it's I... I got in a fight with my boss over Beavis and Butthead do the universe because I, it barely came out because it's for Paramount plus it's during the pandemic. I didn't even hear about it. Then suddenly I find out it's there. Watch it. Hardest I've laughed in years, years. And uh, my newspaper, we do like a a best of the year around Christmas time. We do like the best movies that are available now on streaming (laughs) from the last year. And I'm like this and everything everywhere all at once are my ride or dies. (laughs) You cannot make me take them off the list. And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I like looked it up. It's like 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. That mm-hmm. is Banshees of Inishera numbers. Okay. You cannot stop me. <laughs> and then finally he did watch it. And then I just got a text of saying, I'm sorry. And I was like, thank yeah. you. Yeah. It, 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 and also, JR, if you don't know, they made a canonical reason why Beavis and Butthead are still teenagers from the 90s in 2023. <laughs> and you will hear and see from their age counterparts because of what happens in Beavis and Butthead do the universe. Yeah. And it's, nice. it's, it's even better to just, yes, have them come from the nineties and be here because that makes them even fucking dumber. Yes. And then I think Diana said like, they never get more lucid and insightful than when watching things and them watching TikTok videos and new music videos is the, still the funniest part of that show. <laughs> they're, they're, yeah. The, the, a BTS video comes on and Beavis is like, oh, look, there's there's Dan. And they're like, whoa, Beavis, you know all of BTS? Yeah, dude, they're cool. I love BTS. <laughs> they're watching ASMR videos. Yeah, they're watching Mikey's like TikToks and stuff. It, it's fucking yeah. hilarious. I, I'm, so, I'm shocked it still works, but like an animated yeah. phenomenon that wasn't a waste of time. And I feel like some people kind of throw Beavis and Butthead in that wheelhouse. That was just something we went through as a culture. Like, not surprisingly, still works. It, it, they're, yeah. they're, not, they're dumb characters, but they're also indestructible Wiley Coyote cartoon characters, and they mm-hmm. seem to have a budget to play with that a little more. Like getting fish hooks caught in their eyes and like <laughs> it's real violent shit. Uh, getting stuck in a kiddie pool full of glue, nachos, <laughs> and raccoons. <laughs> Just getting stuck on a roof for a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I was really when when they came back in 2011. It was a lot of fun because they were just watching MTV reality shows. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, you can keep doing that forever. And I guess they just did. Eh, didn't feel like it. I don't know. Just did it once. It was real fun. And then coming back again, which is on Paramount Plus, is now running on Comedy Central after South Park. So you can see them if you don't want to bother with Paramount Plus. And they're just still like, it's it's just a timeless thing. Dumb guy tries to figure his way out of a situation and fails. <laughs> they think they're in an escape room, but they've just wandered into the bathroom. And now they have to escape the bathroom. There you go. 
And, and, and just the, the nature of MTV being, when I was a kid, a place where young people learned about culture and their parents hated it and the school hated it and the watchdog groups hated it and it doesn't exist anymore. And what do young people have to get their cues for being young? Fucking TikTok. diet Nazis on, on YouTube. We never had to dodge that fucking bullet as kids, like look out for real Nazis. Yeah, yeah, come on over. It's fun here. Was that guy making fun of Harry Potter? Yeah, come to my club. It's amazing. We would never yeah. <laughs> ostracize you for that. Yeah. That's one one of the things that I always kind of amazed me that MTV just let them make fun of music videos. Yeah. And that there'd be so many videos where they were just like, that guy is stupid. This song sucks. I hate this. I hope everyone's because MTV <laughs> owned the videos. It was sort just of, like yeah. We got to do kind of, sort of, basically. Yeah, and they, they yeah. miraculously resolved all those rights for Paramount+. Plus. I haven't really? seen them. That amazes Because they haven't an all-day streaming Beavis and Butthead channel, but it's all the shit that made it a home video. But they, I think if you watch them episode by episode, they retained, they found the way to preserve the music video stuff, too. Yeah, but if I were the, the, the music distributor, I'd be fucking furious. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's they're getting how, a cut. How dare you let them yeah, put up our video and tell us about comes, how much we suck? There comes a point in any pop culture's lifespan yeah, when any talking about it is better than silence. Yeah. You know, I, most of those videos had passed their prime. The albums had sold platinum, but they hadn't been selling platinum that year or the previous year or the year before. So it's like any discussion is better than no discussion. My favorite example right now always makes me laugh. I, I don't want to get too far into, into the weeds here, but they negotiated rights for uh, uh, music used in movies and TV um, in perpetuity. And then Napster started taking a big bite and stealing music. And so where are we going to make this up? I'm like, well, this new thing, DVD, they didn't option those rights. So movies had a little easier, but television was fucked. There's plenty of stuff we still can't see on DVD because of uh, music rights. And yeah. my favorite example is Married with Children. They had a Frank Sinatra song, and they cut it out of all the DVDs. And if you go into a store now that still sells DVDs, there's a sticker on it that says, now contains the original opening theme song. Because at one some point... The Frank Sinatra people are like, why are we arguing against this? It's this yeah. or no money. Like, what do we? <laughs> what, what Give are us we, ten grand. We'll call it yeah, a day. Yeah, like we mm -hmm. we need to negotiate something. Otherwise, we make nothing on all of this, and that's where I hope people get to. Like, maybe you get a couple cents, but maybe more people see and enjoy it. Yes, can't be worse than Spotify, can it? Yeah. <laughs> You're only getting half a penny off the. Moving on to games, <laughs> but Beavis, <laughs> Beavis and Butthead was like just a, a massive cultural movement for me. It made me watch MTV, and then it made MTV into something I would watch even more of uh, as a result well, of Beavis and Butthead. I, think, I mean, it's kind of brilliant. And I think about it, it's like someone who I I didn't watch just MTV, just putting it on. Sometimes I'd mm -hmm. have it on the background, just as like just music yeah. but there's also the radio for that but um as someone who's sort of like i don't like things that are popular i only like liquid television and like idiot box and this weird stuff mm -hmm. it's a way to get the anti-mtv people yeah. to show it, up it, everybody bitches. loved it everybody loved it and i remember making an event of the last episode beavis and butthead are dead it would like it existed <laughs> through literally all my teenage years so it's something i've I didn't expect to feel very fondly about until I started to look back on it about 10 years ago because I never thought it would hold up and it does. Moving yeah. on. 
amazing. Moving on to video games in 1993. This is fun because we've got Kid Dracula on Game Boy, something I don't think we would be able to play officially until a couple of years ago. It gets thrown into yeah, Castlevania yeah. collection. This is part of the Castlevania collection. I'd heard about it, but I'd never played it until that uh, yeah. collection came out. I mean, I played it, but I had to do it. Not necessarily legally. Now, a bunch of Castlevania games can be yours for like five bucks on almost any system you have. So good on the, good on the new digital, digital distribution, huh? Mickey Safari and Letterland for NES, a game me and my teenage friends were playing the shit out of. No. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's to help young kids learn the freaking alphabet, okay? <laughs> not Mickey judging. Mouse, all right? You like Mickey, kid? Learn your ABCs. Here you go. And then we get to... Zen the Intergalactic Ninja, which I just, like, I'm a little kid, and, and I'm not thinking this rationally, but, like, judging by the title, this is the best video game ever made. And it wasn't. <laughs> and it, <laughs> not even I the best am game. amazed at how good this is. I know I'm a broken record with 1993 NES games. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this, this has a really amazing minecart level. In fact, I'm going to say this has the best <gasps> minecart level of any NES game. Take that, DuckTales. Damn, and Donkey Kong, Jesus Christ. And, and one level is an isometric platformer. Another lo- level is a side-scrolling boss battle. Yeah. I mean, they play around with this. Yeah, it's a, it, I can't say the same for Fire and Ice, which is, is that just a puzzle game or an RPG? It's a really fun puzzle game. Mm. And I got to tell you, there is no feeling better in the world when you are beating puzzles designed for 10 year olds and you are feeling (laughs) so smart you are just crushing these puzzles and then there is no worse feeling than when you cannot solve a puzzle designed for 10 year olds i gotta call the nintendo power hotline because no one invented the internet just yet or it's not on my pro my prodigy message board and again incredibly fluid sprites for what this is doesn't look like a game made three years ago oh and we have a rare comic book for 1993 Mm -hmm. Uh, Death, the High Cost of Living by Neil Gaiman. So this is uh, one of the few spinoffs from the Sandman Sandman series that Neil did. And this covers the anthropomorphic character of Death, who is basically goth 1993 Alanis Morissette. Okay, that's 100% what she is. And it in the graphic novel, once every 100 years, Death lives out one day as a mortal creature to see what life is like. Hmm. And I did the math. If you accept that uh, life began 3.7 billion years ago. 6,000, excuse me? (laughs) And she only experiences one day every 100 years, then she experienced 101,369 years, eight months, three weeks, and 12 days. So more than any of us ever will. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, but it touches on morality. It touches on uh, what it means to be alive, and it's with that Neil Gaiman wit mm-hmm. and charm, where you just you fall in love with this girl who's going to take you one day, mm-hmm. and that's a sweet character. If if there is an anthropomorphic death out there, I sure hope it's like Neil Gaiman. She she is the sweetest death in all of fiction that I can think of. I, I wouldn't have known what you're talking about because I could never, for some reason, get into the Sandman as a comic. And I read a ton of comics, long time, and I love that Netflix series. She's in the Netflix series. I don't know. Yep. Yeah. It, I, the actress I, does a really good job of capturing the character. It's a great episode. 
I, I haven't, it's so good I have not finished it yet. Because I'm just like, this is meant to be eaten one at a time and not binged. I really yeah. like that Netflix series. Yeah. The the favorite ones of the Netflix mm-hmm. series for me are the standalone episodes. Yeah, and there's a couple where it's just, it's mm-hmm. not going any great arc. It's not advancing the plot. It's just a standalone. And it's a fantastic adaptation of some individual episodes of the comic book. It's Love it's, it. it's It's got a lot to it and some parts where I'm just like, oh, come on. (laughs) I don't know where they go with it, given how much I like it. It just kind of like flicks Um, back and forth between one of the best fantasy series I've ever seen and just eye roll. So my eyes going back in my head. Oh, my God. And I'm just looking ahead just as we get into music of 1993, March 3rd through the 9th. New releases include another band that wouldn't have gone I'm sorry, anywhere without MTV. Serial mm-hmm. Killer soundtrack by Green Jelly. That was another mm-hmm. reason. Like, there's this video for Three Little... P- that is the worst song to listen to in the world. And the video <laughs> is amazing, and you can't believe someone made it for you in 1993. Green Jelly <laughs> is out this week. Uh, the self-titled solo debut of Frank Black, who I would be bored by when I saw him open for They Might Be Giants and had never heard of the Pixies. Like, who is this idiot with just an electric guitar? Ugh, chubby man. I fuck know. you. I know. Fuck 1994 me. Alibis by Tracy Lawrence. Uh, animal. Alibis. Alibis. <laughs> 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 I'm going to roll of stupidity this episode. Animals with human intelligence by Enough's Enough. Sure, why not an album from them in the 90s? Uh, Are You Gonna Go My Way by Lenny Kravitz. Uh, yes. Yeah, I like the Tom Jones version on the Jerky Boy soundtrack. <laughs> It's, it's not bad. Uh, <laughs> Tom Jones, pretty much anytime Tom Jones covers something, it's it's at least, well, it's not bad. Yeah, it sounds like someone's having diarrhea in the middle of singing great. Awesome. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Every day, this, someone's asking why we don't cover music in depth. This is why, when I comment on every song. <laughs> uh, every Day by Widespread Panic, the greatest thing to come out of Canada that I've never enjoyed. If I comment more Wait, on no, music, it'll be, there should have been 10% less notes. Just, <laughs> just take out 10% of the notes and yeah. you're good. And A Whole New World by, uh, what? By Peebo Bryson and Regina Bell is finally number one knocking off I Will Always Love You after an, uh, after 14 weeks at number one. Four, uh, all of this is mind-blowing to me because I Will Always Love You was there for 14 weeks and and from two movies that came out within a week of one another so it's odd for even this to creep up and be unseat i will always love you from a soundtrack that came out i would guess around the same time okay you're right they're two weeks apart aladdin is november 11th and the bodyguard is november 25th and yeah a whole new world has just been sitting there waiting and waiting but come on it's Whitney Houston's finest hour it's not going anywhere it's not going anywhere and then finally not not the movie version but like the Don't radio you dare version hold your eyes terrible with people <laughs> i hate the human version of cartoon songs across the board but for fuck's sake yeah for 4 months mm. now <laughs> we've got music from a movie and it's going to go on even longer now Yep. Chris, hmm. laser time episode. Oh. Human versions of cartoons. Oh my God. Please don't bring up American Tale to me. That fucking version. <laughs> Somewhere. Out. No, I want voice cracking children singing the song or nobody at all. Get out of here. Get out of here, adults. Uh, but we're closing out with a whole new world, a song you're undoubtedly familiar with. But stay right there. We got. Hard pivot for the music that's going to bring us into the next segment. My God, it doesn't even feel like 10 years in between. It feels like an ocean or a lifetime. But, <laughs> but you'll have to wait to hear it when we come back. A whole new world, a new fantastic point of view. 
or where to go, or say we're wrong, they dream It's your birthday. We gon' party like it's your birthday. We gon' sip a card like it's your birthday. And you know we don't give a fuck. Cause it's not your birthday. You can find me in the club. Bottle full of bub. Mama, I got what you need. If you need to fill a buzz. I'm in the having sex. I ain't in the making love. So come give me a hug. You're in the getting rough. You can find me in the club. Bottle full of bub. Mama, I got what you need. If you need to fill a buzz. Coming into 2003 with In the Club by 50 Cent. I told you it would be quite the difference between a whole new world covered by serious adults. 50 Cent, this doesn't even, it feels like a lifetime later. Like, that we get, this is what's in pop music. And I don't really know why, but just stylistically and all that shit. In the Club, it's number one this week. Good on you, Fitty. Uh, welcome to 2003, March 3rd to the 9th. We also have new releases like Epica by Canalot. Camelot, uh, Statues by Moloko, Avalanche by Matthew Good, Fallen by Evan Essence, Self-Titled by Hootie and the Blowfish, Joyride by Oleander, La Bella Mafia by Lil' Kim, The Power to Believe by King Crimson, So Long Astoria by The Ataris, Street Dreams by Fabulous, The Ugly Organ by Cursive, The Wells on Fire by Protocol Harem. Now let's go into each one of those albums in depth. <laughs> Um, I just—I never thought Kim, King Crimson and the Ataris and Procol Harum would ever be <laughs> in the same week, but there we are. Um, yeah, well, okay, so we have a little bit of news to bring us into 2003 and some news I forgot about 10 years earlier, 93, but I found a good segue. Uh, and mm-hmm. Haifa? 17 Israeli citizens are killed by a Hamas suicide bomb. Yeah, and after this, you know, the Israelis hit their head and said, oh my gosh, we were wrong. Let's all be nice to the Palestinians. And it was smooth sailing from there on out. Oh, God, this this shit is just... Hamas, why don't you realize that this shit is just used to justify more horrible shit? And that's exactly what happened. This had a huge reaction from Israel, and uh, it became a lot more right wing. Even and it keeps on happening. Um, Yeah. Damn it. All right. Yeah. You you want your fun? Your spoonful of sugar with the news from twenty years ago? Dog doesn't. He's fucking pissed at the IDF. Apparently, he's gonna love this because it's gonna segue to some Seinfeld news from uh, thirty years ago. But twenty years ago. I can't find more information about this, but the sponge has miraculously made a comeback and is back on shelves. The sponge contraceptive. I, Diana, I'm not putting any pressure on you. I don't really know what it is or why it was gone or why it came back and probably was short lived. But Mm -hmm. we all remember Elaine's like, no, this is my preferred contraceptive. I'm going to hoard mine and consider things sponge worthy. That is my entire knowledge of the sponge yes. contraceptive i never knew a girl who ever used it i didn't really learn much about it in any health class i only know about it through seinfeld and so i am very TV yes. sorry to sound like a shitty male whenever i do hear like how does the iud work like oh man i wish i hadn't asked that sounds awful uh, Ooh, yeah. <laughs> now the, i mean the sponge is pretty clever because it's sort of combining a couple different contraceptives at the same time it's like you know, it's like a diaphragm, but you don't have to get it fitted by a doctor. You can buy it off the shelf. You you get it wet and you squeeze it and that releases like a spermicide. So it's got a spermicide plus it blocks stuff. Okay. Well, that's bad. That's cool. Uh, I mean, uh, these, these are good things, but it's it was just a lot less effective than, say, condoms. So just 
Produce yeah. condoms. Or, or guys. Don't start with me, Christopher. <laughs> Look, I'm going to go do that thing where they, they, yeah, cut your balls in the chili with a vasectomy. Actually, <laughs> I had a vasectomy, yeah. and I highly recommend it. Uh, it allowed my wife to get off birth control, which was always not great for her to be on. Mm-hmm. And it was very quick, not really painful. I mean, it is a little painful, but it's I've had worse. Mm-hmm. And now I'm in the clear. So, All right. But I was segueing that to 30 years ago because it was 30 years ago last week in 93. I think it was the one two punch of Cheers, while still popular, being unaffordable to continue producing. They're sort of like, this is the last season we're winding down, also leading up to Frasier. But Seinfeld, mm-hmm. I think this week, 30 years ago, does enter the top 10 most watched shows this week and so i forgot to mention that i thought that was pretty important because we kind of all know the lore of seinfeld that nbc really kept it alive way longer than any other show should have been alive and after about the third year into the fourth season it becomes a bona fide hit that ends up booing other shows like most famously veronica's closet and the fall guy just kidding it's friends but uh (laughs) yeah that was from that was from last week let's get into 2003 Movies, uh, The Good Thief with Nick Nolte, Refines, and uh, Shecky. I'm going to say Shecky. Shecky Caro? Yeah, it's close enough. Yeah, why um, not? Yeah, he's a total hate, that guy. You, you've seen Shecky Caro and tons of stuff. Mm. Yeah, we've got two um, like indie holdovers from last year to just sort of get out of the way. The Good Thief uh, is a Neil Jordan joint who did um, Crying Game and mm-hmm. Mona Lisa and a bunch of other stuff. And it's a remake of Bob Le Flambeur is a french new wave film and i remember seeing it at the time and it was pretty good did not bother to go back because it's like i don't know if i'm gonna get anything out of it the second time nick nolte is a like professional gambler who used to be a thief and then he gets drawn in for one last job and um if it requires someone to be grizzled and regretful god damn it nick nolte's your man man i was watching him on the latest episode of poker face yeah and i had to tell my like because of the show that guy, which guy? The guy's like, like he, that was people's sexiest man alive 30 years ago, and he was almost Han Solo. So I think just because of body degradation, they may have made the right choice. You can still parade Harrison Ford on a Disneyland float. Nick Nolte is scary. Uh, yeah, if you watch Nick no. Nolte in the late seventies, I think he would have kicked asses on Solo. No, no, totally. I just cannot believe. Like, did you see that episode of Poker Face? Like, is he okay? Mm-hmm. Oh my god! And so yeah, good thief. That's, that's pretty good. And then they also have the safety of objects with a giant cast. Both go with Glenn Close, D- Dermot Mulroney, Patricia Clarkson, which. Um, kind of it's 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 shortcuts it's kind of like shortcuts <laughs> it's based on uh, a series of short stories and it's about all these different people in this neighborhood and how all their different problems intersect and it, because it turns out that the one fateful night where there was the terrible accident and everyone's got issues and problems and weirdness and psychological things they got to deal with including a hands-on a hard body contest <laughs> yes and most of the reviews were sort of like again it's fine you know, there's, there's a bunch of really good actors who elevate material, so it's fine. And also this week, a movie I would not see again because I was bored to tears. Ha-ha. <laughs> uh, Tom Scared, Cole Hauser, Monica Bellucci, and Bruce Willis in Tears of the Sun. Ooh, Navy SEAL. In a hostile territory, we have trouble. Intel estimates 5,000 rebels converging on your area. Everybody get out! 
One soldier will risk everything. It's been strongly suggested that we abandon these refugees and make the ultimate choice. Hey, right now, I'm not going to do that. That is not your mission! From the director of Training Day. Your unit is not equipped to handle the additional threat. My team will complete this mission. Tears of the Sun. And a consultant behind Black Hawk Down. Ra ra <laughs> hoo ra. Tears of the Sun. Mm. Uh, a at least 100% fictitious military drama that we don't have to talk about. Yeah, mm. but I, you know, it's way. also about like humanitarian concerns mm-hmm. and kind of the same thing with Black Hawk Down of like, well, they're not shooting at us. They're just maiming all those people. So we don't have anything we can do. And it's like, damn it, we've got, we're supposed to be here to save people because mm-hmm. there's a big Nigerian civil war going on and all these people are stranded and it's like no we got to get out just the americans and then he you know realizes oh no there's all these other people they're refugees and they need help protecting them and i'm assuming tom scared to say that's not the protocol yeah chain of command obviously. oh i yep, know that's that's his job he's he's military dad he's not gonna shave his mustache for anything it's the only thing he can do military dad yeah it's <laughs> I mean, it's yes, yeah, Anton Fuqua coming back after training day. So this is a big change for him. You know, I can do a big budget, big action movie. And most of the reviews, because, yeah, I'm not I didn't get around to watch this. Most of the reviews were like, yeah, it's basically a, an action movie dressed up with this pseudo pseudo humanitarian message that is just like, this is not the time or the place. Mm-hmm. You're, you're trying to do an action movie, but then you're trying to make us feel something about it. Yeah. You know, it ends with the quote about how, you know, for evil to triumph, it all is required is me- good men do nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we should help refugees. You're right. <laughs> yes. That's... What 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 else do you want from me, man? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not like you've ever taken uh, any of my suggestions for the military. Yeah. <laughs> they should... I think fancier uniforms. I think they should stand around Typhoon Lagoon and make sure the lines are short for the water slides. That's what I want to use my tax dollars for. Uh, well. And then, let's get to, I, I mean, a Bruce Willis action movie, you know, with a hot director and all this. Bombing. And it, bombing. Yeah. And it gets, it's freaking lunch eaten. Everyone gets their lunch eaten for a couple of weeks by a movie that. Astonishing. Does anyone actually like? I don't but know. It is a huge hit. It is a massive hit. I, I don't understand. Eugene Levy, Queen Latifah, and Steve Martin in Bringing Down the House. Peter's life was all business until his blind internet date. I hope you like Sham. Wasn't what he pictured. Poop. This Saturday night. Queen Latifah. Don't miss a special sneak preview of the comedy critics are calling Uproarious. Wake up, Charlene. Outrageous. You got me straight tripping, boo. And irresistible. George is having trouble reading. Double Dad, what's a rat? It's a country. Bringing down the house. Ah, <laughs> bringing down the house. A movie I remember being embarrassing. Um, I saw it in yeah. theaters because of my diehard love of Steve Martin. And I don't not love Queen Latifah. And she's kind of becoming a movie star right now. Mm-hmm. Is this yeah. post-Chicago? No, well, I mean, she probably filmed yeah. it before Chicago came out. Probably. Yeah, yeah, she probably filmed it before Chicago. But, uh, yeah. So, I mean, she's she's very hot right now. We've seen she could do more serious stuff. She's uh, freaking amazing in Chicago. And here she is. She's just showing up for Honky Be Trippin', the movie. We talked about <laughs> House Sitter less than a year ago. Yes. How is this different? Oh, it's a black person. Yeah. Okay. But it does allow Steve Martin. What happens? Does he get hit in the head or is he on drugs and he shows up to the club with a basketball jersey on and his pants sagging and 
what up, Burrow? I'm like, oh boy, <laughs> I just read his book about his life in the movies, and I think this has a one-line mention. Not, a, not anything bad. Yeah. A lot of his movies get one-line mentions. So if it has had an anecdote, I would remember it from uh, that book. Yeah. And by say read his book, it is a I comic mean, book. What are you going to say about this film? This is not <laughs> a film anyone has talked about in 20 years for good reason. We are now... At this point, the world experts on bringing down the house because we have had a three-minute conversation on it, which was two minutes too long. But it is a, it is a wild, wild runaway hit in a time we'll find out when not a lot of big blockbusters get released. But it is it has this really bizarre staying power to the point where like I was still reading the trades and the charts and like, fine, I'll go see this. This has terrible reviews. <laughs> I'll go see this. The world seems to love this movie. I don't know why. I don't know who it was appealing to, the family audience, the black audience. Maybe it was a polite mixture of both because there's nothing really that offensive in it other than maybe Steve Martin, the only reason I went to go see it. But uh, yeah, it, 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 sits, it sits atop the box office for weeks, for weeks. And, and it's, it's one of those few times that like, I don't understand. I don't understand at all. I can only assume maybe a bunch of dead black grandmas thought this was charming. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a good point. That does have crossover potential between mm -hmm. different ages, uh, different uh, ethnic groups, whatever. Yeah, that you will get a black comedy audience to show up to Queen Latifah. If she's yeah. going to be, you know, clowning on the stuffy white guy. You know, that, yeah. Two stuffy white guys, that. Eugene Levy in all his eyebrowed glory. Oh, yeah. this is highly irregular. Uh, yeah, but there's just a certain amount of, you know, black guys drive like this, white guys drive like that. Yeah. and But then also there's like the whole subplot is she's actually like an escaped convict and she's trying to clear her name. Mm. Okay. Oh. And then, yeah, that's how he, I think he ends up in the club because like, yeah, you should just go confront the gangster instead of, you know, call the cops, I <laughs> guess. You're definitely not going to get murdered in this. Uh, also, Joan Plowright. Isn't it? It's like a mean old racist lady. Mm -hmm. That's Mrs. Lawrence Olivier we're talking about. <laughs> Betty White, too, showing up for just like a minute to say something inappropriate and then go away. Yeah. No, man. I'm what? not. Why are y'all making us talk no. about this, audience? Why? No. You're making yes. us talk about this, bringing down the yeah. house. Bringing down the house is bringing me down, period. <laughs> Let's get into TV then. How about that? Because I. No, have... it's worse. <laughs> It's a little weird. Uh, 2003 TV, March 3rd to the 9th. Uh, Married by America debuts on Fox. What do you think this is about? <laughs> okay, just on the title, what do you think this is I about? I think it's about a network that never learns its lessons when it comes to reality shows. <laughs> you are right. Because it wasn't enough that Fox had a show where, hey, women, you only care about money, right? Come marry a millionaire. He might okay. be an abuser, and we're not going to tell you, but marry this millionaire. And that was not low enough for Fox. They hired some scientists and they found a bottom of the barrel that they didn't even know existed and you can't see without electronic microscope, okay? <laughs> and they came up with the idea for this show, which is where you, the contestant, are going to marry someone based upon what the audience and the viewers at home vote on. You are allowing oh. America to vote for who you are going to marry. Yeah, I think I think this had to, like, the audience for this had to confront some of their ethical boundaries. It's one thing to say, like, I think this singer's great and they should be more popular. I'm going to vote for that 
person. It's another thing to watch a train wreck reality show relationship drama and say, like, I'm not only going to watch the ant farm, they just sent me the magnifying glass and I can, I can do whatever <laughs> I want. I can, I can set fire to anything on this show. Yeah, maybe that's not what people actually want to see. They want to see people make organic choices in relationships. And I don't know. I don't, I don't watch The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. I, I wouldn't know. Like, do, do you really want to in, influence the outcome? In that situation, because that show's still on, still popular. Is, mm-hmm. If that was a desire, I feel like we would have seen it by now. And I don't think this was a real desire for people who like this kind of entertainment. Mm-hmm. No, I want to watch a train wreck that I don't make. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, and uh, the FCC ended up fining them $1.2 million what? because they were pixelated strippers and a, man, a woman licking whipped cream off a man's nipple during a bachelor party. Totally legitimate. And, yeah, and, and that's... Uh, yeah, the complaint turned out to be totally illegitimate that of all the complaints they got, they basically all came from like two or three people. No, that never happened. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, and I'm, you know that shit's been coordinated online somehow. There's mm-hmm. some blog somewhere because we don't have social media yet. So there's focus on the family or someone said like, here's a form letter, sign it and send it. <laughs> oh, Married by America. The problem is it has strippers and not that it's a slave auction. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And, and and less gross, but like I couldn't have been following Bob Odenkirk and David Cross more at this point. I think they had an unreleased movie that I was super excited to see. So I followed everything they did on their website and they announced David Cross is going to be a huge part of this show that's coming on Fox. Ooh, what is it? And then it turns out it's kind of a 1960s wonder years and David Cross is just the voice. And then it was like I tuned in twice and like this is a total waste of David Cross yeah. just to be the Daniel Stern in a. I don't know. I'm looking at it now. Maybe a slightly more Semitic version of the Wonder Years. It's probably got its place, but it's just, you know, how many. And then lastly in TV this week, on the Sim. Did you say the name of it? Oh, Oliver (laughs) Bean. Oliver Bean. (laughs) Oliver Bean. Two seasons on Fox. And by two seasons, I mean impossible to find will disappear for weeks at a time. (laughs) And uh, Fox two seasons, a very where I live situation. You can watch it for new episodes for three years, but you'll never know when and you'll never know where. And then finally on the Simpsons 20 years ago, Mr. Spit Spritz goes to Washington. Um. (laughs) Uh, This is where uh, Krusty the Clown gets elected to Congress, and it had a line that just tickled me pink. Can't judge me by that clip. It was a different time, Mm -hmm. 1998, and this is airing in 2003. (laughs) The thing is, I could actually see some people using that today saying, that was in... 2018. You can't judge me for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, there were uh, maybe not 2018, but you know, I've been podcasting a long time. I got some of those too. It's sad, (sighs) really. The Simpsons still (laughs) still being noteworthy after 20 fucking years. Good on these days. uh, I would be okay with Krusty going to Congress because at least I know what his actual name is. (laughs) (laughs) And where's been stealing? dogs or whatever you know where his money came from (laughs) yeah pretty good idea yeah pretty good idea yeah the talking crusty and the metal o's and the crusty cereal 2003 is a weird time for three once and continuously mighty franchises some not so much so just tent you wrath of heaven i have never seen a series that i love so much just exist so long in a form i'd barely recognize but tent you the game, the real fucking ninja game, uh, years after the intergalactic ninja, <laughs> Tenchu, the real, like, no, be quiet. Don't get spotted. If you do, you can't fight people. Like, that's what Tenchu was. Very weird. Like, huge on stealth, and then kind of had a 
hard time moving into different generations because its core principle was like, don't have fun. You're a ninja. If you get spotted, you get in a fight, you run a risk of getting killed. And they had to continuously, we're going back to our roots. Now we've added new mechanics <laughs> to be even more deadly. But yeah, period set ninja game. I don't know. Yeah, your mileage, mileage may vary with Wrath of Heaven. I don't know. Did you play that one, JR? No, nah, not, not in my wheelhouse. Rayman 3, Hoodlum Havoc, both on GameCube and GBA. Probably some connectivity there. Yeah, the weird, I say weird, but this is kind of defi- defines Rayman's period as a platformer, platform star, his 3D period after two. Um, and it probably doesn't get better than Hoodlum Havoc. Hoodlum Havoc. And then, of course, we have Sonic Advance 2 on GBA. And just I am blown away by the really awesome Sonic games on the GBA. It, I was not a GBA guy, I didn't have it. And as we're doing this show, I keep coming across yep. these things where I'm like, this is amazing. Yep. Why are not more people talking about? Why isn't this just part of the discussion with Sonic two and three? I, I think and I can't remember because I don't know where like the Rush series lies on the GBA or the DS, but this might be like the best period of like old school Sonic games was on the GBA and the DS, including these I can see it. completely like new Sonic old school games for the GBA. This game also introduced a new character to Sonic called Cream the Rabbit. <laughs> which which sounds like an arcade game. people. <laughs> Crazy! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think this this ended up having three entries and had a great like had its own compilation of Sonic Advance games at some point because they were so good. But wow, is this the shortest 20, 2003 segment of all time? Potentially, I, I have nothing to say. Uh, but we're gonna, <laughs> I, got, I got nothing about any of this. We're gonna go. Well, nothing's gonna be as interesting as fucking Amos Although, and Andrew. Honestly, <laughs> next week though we have. Or in the I next saw, couple yeah. weeks, we have some legendarily terrible movies in 2003 that I will have plenty to say. Yeah. This week, it's just I'm throwing my hands up. Uh. Well, we'll close out with uh, Fabulous Can't Let You Go. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Fabulous. Mm-hmm. Can't Let You Go, but don't move, people. we got one more segment in the barrel, 2013, and we're going to get into it right after this. I want to be with you. I want to be real with you. can't leave you alone. And I know I'm living would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the laser time crew then we strongly encourage you to support this show on patreon.com slash laser time it supports not only this show but all the rest of the laser time network you'll get commentaries play games with the hosts see exclusive videos first and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time speaking of which here's a quick taste Two comedies that couldn't be different. Kind of odd to enjoy together, but one of them is the highest gro- one of the highest grossing movies of the year behind E.T., I think. 48 Hours and Tootsie, which I had never seen. I had right. really I thought I had seen it. Okay. I, yeah, yeah. I just I, I okay. thought I remembered it airing on cable all the time and then watching it like I definitely didn't see this. Not, that not was Juana Man, I think. Juana Man. Juana Man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or Mrs. Down. Superior film. Let's be let's be real here. Yeah, well I, I thought it was fun. It's like there's a bunch of movies from eighty two that we definitely should talk about. And it's like the uh and instead we're going with the number one highest grossing comedy of the year and the number three highest grossing comedy of the year. Because and, and, I refuse to talk about number two. Because oh, it's Porky's. Porky's. Porky's does surprisingly well. It's the fifth highest grossing film of 1982 above Star Trek Wrath of Khan. Yes. Talk about a movie that's wow. aged like milk. 
Get Bonus Time, a weekly uncensored and commercial-free podcast every Tuesday, starting for just $5 on Patreon.com slash LazerTime. This is Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of March 3rd through 9th, it's, uh, I, got a, I got some stuff I want to talk about. Uh, let's start with uh, happy 75th anniversary to McCollum versus Board of Education, which uh, was decided in 1948. And it ruled that maybe teachers shouldn't teach religion in public schools. And I would like to agree with that and uh, I'm waiting to see if this ends up getting struck down because if you don't trust teachers to teach history why would you trust them to teach God? Uh, yeah. So separation of church and state is actually uh, for the church's benefit not just for the states. Just, just throwing that out there. Yeah, you know why I don't record this live in person with Chris? Because I'm boycotting Florida. That's why. <laughs> And you should, too. Please boycott Florida and maybe Tennessee and uh, let's boycott everybody. Anyway, getting off my high horse. Let's talk about 50 years ago this week. Cries and Whispers came out. uh, Another one of Ingmar Bergman's dang near masterpieces. It's it's very Bergman-y because it's about some sisters and one of them is dying and they're in a mansion and they're sad at each other for a while. And that's kind of it. But damn, just... I don't know how Bergman gets under your skin, but he, he just does. Even when it seems like nothing's happening, like everything seems really important. This is especially just a, a beautiful movie. They're shooting in this lovely lakeside area and, you know, Sweden. It's in the summertime. It's really pretty. But then the two I really want to recommend this week, we've got a film noir double feature that um, they have a lot in common, but they have a lot not in common. Starting with 75 years ago this week, 1948 is The Naked City, which is... A real solid noir by Jules Dessin, who has, you know, a French sensibility. But the thing that really makes it special is it's shot entirely on location with this gorgeous black and white cinematography. And I am just into anything classic that was shot on location. Like, I want to see 1948 New York. And it looks so, so good. Oh, my God. Eventually, Naked City was turned into a TV show. You know, like a police procedural because, you know, there's a million stories in the Naked City. Because that's just a cool title. So, yeah, Naked City from uh, 1948 with uh, Barry Fitzgerald. It's, if if you live or have even visited New York, you should check it out because there's so many things. Where it's like, oh, my God, I think I've been there, but it looked different now because, <laughs> you know, 75 years. So and then another film noir, 25 years later, turning 50 this week is Robert Altman's The Long Goodbye, starring Elliot Gould, Sterling Hayden, a baby Arnold Schwarzenegger. And it's a weird one. <laughs> it's rambling and shambolic in a 70s way even though it is based on a Raymond Chandler book but it's you know updated to the 70s and it's Altman so he doesn't mind you know taking his time and just having stuff happen it's just stuff and weirdness and uh it's been a really long time since I watched it I know my my, <laughs> my husband watched it I think over Christmas and was like what the fuck I'm like okay I gotta go back and check this one out because I remember it's just being odd but solid depends on how much you like Robert Altman, I suppose. So, yep, long goodbye, Naked City. That's it for this week. Stay classic. Hey, 
coming in 2013 with the beginning by uh, One OK Rock off of uh, Gensai Cross Boku, um, according to my notes. Yes. I'm still not entirely sure. I think they're One Ok Rock. One Ok Rock? But, yeah, they're a Japanese group. And I put them in here because Hell this yeah. is their big breakout. And the, we're getting into the time where we're getting a lot more Asian like boy bands and stuff coming in. More K-pop, more Japanese stuff. But I, the first time I heard about them was during one of the women's marches. I think you were right there with me. And we walked past the Warfield, which is a big music venue. Yeah. And because it was all uppercase, it looked like it was one OK Rock. And they're promoting, <laughs> hey, everyone. We, you want to see one okay rock? Is this a radio station? Like what? What is it? Just okay, or I mean, it's not great. Is that right? Right outside where I captured you meeting John Waters, which I love. That still pops up in my memories. About about uh, two blocks away. Wow, I do remember yeah. that. Um, but yeah, one one rock rock. They um, they they do rock. Yes, yes. Can't as you complain. can hear. Right now, 10 years ago in music, March 3rd through the 9th, you also saw new releases like Bad Blood from Bastille, Girl Who Won't Go Away by Dido, Graffiti on the Train by Stereophonics, Nanobots by TMBG, They Might Be Giants, uh, Wondrous Bug House by Youth Lagoon, What About Now by Bon Jovi, and The Next Day by David Bowie. Is that a, probably going to be a sex, second to last album? Second to last album, yeah. but it, it is the one with the, um, the video with him and Tilda Swinton looking the same <laughs> i was so glad i was like oh my god finally they're in the same room together <laughs> thank god it's it's a really cool video there's and to promote it i'm sure they made a harlem shake video by bauer because that song is still number one <laughs> and that trend is just starting to appear a little bit of news bringing you the wonderful world of 10 years ago uh a two-year-old u.s girl becomes the first child born with hiv to be cured oh yeah, unfortunately, this has not been replicated. It was oh. a big event at the time, and they were real hopeful that they could kind of repeat it, and hasn't been the case. But it's one of those things where it's like, you did it once, guys. Come on. Yeah, and uh, and also, yeah, what? Wow. I, I did remark to somebody, I even stopped like batting an eye at those stories. Blank has cured cancer in blank, and blank has cured AIDS and HIV in blank, because it's like, we always read, we've been reading those stories for 30 fucking years and none of it seems to be something that can work on any mass level <laughs> ever or else we would have heard about it and uh oh this is good because venezuelan president hugo chavez dies at age 58 yet will go on to haunt the american elections for years and years to come uh, somehow he personally programmed voting machines in 2020 wow as reported hugo. by fox news in <laughs> News they now admit they never believe. <laughs> yeah. Hugo Chavez is a fascinating and complicated guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, the whole, like, I'm a socialist. We're going to nationalize the petroleum industry and benefit all the people. We're going to have indigenous rights. And I'm like, yeah. And then he's like, actually, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to become an authoritarian and I'm going to just destroy our economy. Yeah. I got used to oh. saying so <laughs> I wonder if giving unlimited power to one individual <laughs> is a good idea or a bad idea gosh it's almost like it changed him somehow <laughs> like like the lust for power does something to you i had all these plans for the people and then i discovered uh caviar and california king beds and like i just couldn't get enough of it i oh oh i just forgot i forgot i forgot about the people it does happen <laughs> 
It... <laughs> yep. There's also rumors that maybe he died back in December and they just didn't want to tell anybody. <laughs> I, I love that. Yeah. Weekend it's at just... Chavez. Just <laughs> keep selling oil. Like, Give it's the Christmas. money to my cronies. Mm-hmm. Like, it's Christmas. It's really not a good time for me. You sure um, he's dead? He's dancing. Can we reschedule those? <laughs> is he the inspiration for the Parks and Rec character? Straight to jail. I want. I want to say he is. Kind of. I want yeah. to say he is. <laughs> yeah. Let's just let's just pretend. Sure. Yeah. The uh, and played by the ethnically ambiguous Fred Armisen. <laughs> Boy, he can be yeah. anybody. He he can be anybody. But he was on Finding Your Roots, and we found out he thought he was a quarter Japanese, and mm-hmm. he's actually a quarter Korean because his grandfather was a Korean guy who went to. Moved to Japan and decided to pass as Japanese because oh. they're racist against Koreans. Yeah, yeah. But it's very easy to Assassin's Creed yourself there. I've seen it. And also this week, how about some movies? Um, yeah. What a great title for a movie I haven't seen. Raul Arvalo, uh, Lola Duenas, Cecilia Roth, and Javier Camara. Uh, I am so excited. It's a great title. Yep. Yeah, I'm so excited. They, they play it in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pedro Almodovar comedy. Coming back but from this, the at, skin I live in, which is mm, not oh a comedy. <laughs> at any point, does someone say, I'm so excited, I'm so excited, I'm so scared. <laughs> it, it, yes, Elizabeth Perkins. No, not Perkins. Never mind. I lost the Save by the Bell Berkeley. reference. Berkeley. Yeah. Um, yeah, they should, because it's like a super wackety schmackety comedy where they're on a plane and everything is going wrong. So, yeah, they're like, they might all die. So I think they are excited, but scared. All right. But it, it, it's freak it's so wackety schmackety that it's it's like all right pedro's back baby yeah. because it's just about like yeah oh the stewardess doesn't want to put up with anyone so she just literally drugs all of coach just like fuck them just everyone gets sleeping pills i don't want to talk to you and, sure sure and uh what can you tell us about emperor when i think emperor i don't think a bunch of japanese names and then matthew fox <laughs> yeah and tommy lee jones tommy lee is jones. douglas MacArthur. what Oh, this sounds like such a good idea for a movie. Then they fucked it up. Mm. They had something here. They just couldn't stick the landing. So mm. they impose a bit of Hollywood on this film where no. Matthew Fox's character is given 10 days to decide if Emperor Hirohito is going to face trial for crimes against humanity or not. And in real life, it took five months mm. to make that decision. <laughs> And honestly, I thought it would have been a better film if they would have played it out over five months instead of 10 days with all this BS. I'm rushing against the clock here. Just like, because there's a lot of evidence that in those five months, the Japanese consciously worked to try to make their story fit in with each other. And they were doing that while being under American occupation. And that's a story. You could absolutely make that engaging, but they just kind of Hollywood it too much, but it's it's a fascinating time. They really capture post-war Japan very well because the Americans are flying in to cities that are literally still smoking, like literally mm. still just embers have not been put out in some. And that's a hell of a thing. These people were trying to kill you last week. And mm. now you're surrounded by them. There's a hundred thousand of you on the island, and there's a hundred million of them. Okay. How do you mm. do that? Uh, it yeah. gets there. It gets that mm. sense. So it's got some things to it. It just, it's not quite good enough. Mm. Yeah. I, I, again, I apologize. I didn't get to it, but reading the reviews, a lot of them said like, it spends so much time on this love story 
And mm. while they've got the ticking clock, it just frustrates you of like, shut up with your fucking love story. <laughs> Give me Japanese judgment at Nuremberg. Like that yeah. is a great story. It needs to be told. We never talk about post-war Japan. We never talk about the war crimes trials there. There's so much to dig into. Why Why is it just Imbus's girlfriend? No, the emperor might be responsible for genocide. And he's still the emperor. Ugh. Uh, Yeah, emperor, I'm, yeah. I'm bummed. I didn't even know it existed. And I was like, oh, they should have done better. Basically, Hirohito was like most Japanese people. He liked the war when they were winning, and he didn't like the war when they lost. Mm. And then we mm. move on to the next movie that I definitely didn't watch. Wade Barrett, Terrence Howard, Dominic Cooper, Naomi, Naomi Rapace, and Colin Farrell in Dead Man Down. They killed my wife. They killed my daughter. And they thought they killed me too. Hey, hey, hey! Get in! I think your secret will be safe with me. This Friday. Why'd you follow me? I wanted to find out more about you. If there's anything left in this world that he cares about, I'm gonna burn it down. You coming for me? I'm coming for her. Rated R. Rated R. A very odd thing to market from the director of Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Not that one. Not, <laughs> not the one Americans are familiar with. The one that actually was a box office smash all over the globe. Yeah. 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 With with the star of that. Yes. Uh, it just sounds. Is it just me, or if we just had so many of these generic ass movies, especially in the yes. 2010 segments? Well, it's I think just so many. I can't tell. Especially, the I think. I think that's part of why I like Snitch the other week, just because it was a little bit different. <laughs> At least there was actual drama, and it's not just about like, ooh, this gang is going to double cross this I, I, other gang, and then you killed my wife, and you killed my dog, and oh, we're all going to double cross everybody else, and then there's a big shootout. I think that was this is kind of the nature of the business as it had been for 50 years. You have these quality scripts that kind of sit around and then get made when they can attach someone or people with some fire behind them. And then they don't test well and they release them in February and March. That's yeah. what ends up happening. And yeah. Yeah. Dead man yeah, down. bombed and everyone forgot that it existed. Yeah. yeah. And I don't yeah. think that we get more movies from what's it? Niels Arden Oplev. Oplev, did he get more American shots? I don't... Oh, no, he, the Flatliners remake. <laughs> oh, yes. right. Yes. For, again, forgot that existed. Uh, speaking of movies uh, people forget existed. There shouldn't is, exist. There is no... This Diana, this had to exist. This was the culmination of... Uh, the end of, like, five decades of rights hoarding. <laughs> no, this... We will introduce the movie, and then I will talk about how much the rights thing is more interesting than the movie. Look at this cast. Bill Cobbs, Tony Cox, Abigail Spencer, Bruce Campbell. What? Uh, Zach Braff. I think you know who directed this. <laughs> Zach Braff as a monkey. Oh, you don't know yet. I bet you don't. Uh, Joy King, Rachel Wise, Michelle Williams, Mila Kunis, and Jaime Franco, James Franco, it's number one at the box office, the Disney movie we all forgot ever happened, Oz the Great and Powerful. You're in Oz. It's like no place I've ever seen. Great wizard from Kansas, come and set things right. You're the only one strong enough to destroy a wicked witch. Are you the great man we've been waiting for? 
think I could be? <sighs> Here's the thing. I saw this movie on an international flight. I have a very odd relationship with movies that I see, especially on international flights, of which I've only taken a handful, but where you can rewind because you've fallen asleep because a movie is way too long, (laughs) way longer than it should be, over two hours. And I'm like, I'm shocked by how little I hate this film. And I've never wanted to watch it again because for me, this created, to me, an Oz trilogy of interesting films. Uh, and my mother is a huge Oz fan, loves Oz stuff, collects Oz books. Yeah, I like loving Oz unabashedly with her. And I didn't have the heart to rewatch this because it's also two and a half fucking hours of Oz prequel. Your favorite part. Remember the guy who runs away at the end of the movie? <laughs> that's, that's what, let's make an entire movie about him. <laughs> this goddamn movie. Now, here's here's the thing that I love. This is Disney getting fucked by themselves. Yep. And that's why I love it. So, 1939, Wizard of Oz comes out. It's an MGM movie. Mm-hmm. Is based on the books by L. Frank Baum. Not There's even, a lot of books. Yeah. There's a lot of books by L. Frank Baum. But the original one isn't and, even 40 years old by the time it's adapted. And the books are still right. being written by Baum. Yeah. Now mm. we fast forward quite a bit. And through a series of acquisitions and stuff, um, Wizard of Oz, the rights move around a bit. I want to say Warner Brothers might have it because it came with the MGM library. I, whatever it is. There, there's the, so many the original books, things in the movie. Was, well, I'm sorry. getting to So the, the books are public domain. Anyone yeah. can make a movie out of the Wizard of Oz books. But anything that is not in the books that came from the 1939 movie, like the ruby slippers or mm-hmm. the designs of different things, those are still under copyright and cannot be used. Mm-hmm. The copyright kept extending, extending, extending because of Disney, Disney. not wanting mm-hmm. to lose the copyright on Mickey Mouse. He should be out of copyright by now, but they keep lobbying and they keep extending it. No, so it Disney, seems like they've given up on that. Yeah. Uh, they I, are not fighting it. It looks they finally like... give up. They are not fighting it. It's going to go public domain, I think, next year. It is, wow. but I think but I, I tried to explain it. Yeah, there's a bunch yeah, of caveats a, there. It, yeah, it would be a particular Do you want Mickey Mouse with Mickey pupils? Mouse. You can't have. You... Yeah. yeah. So, so Disney really, really wants to be like, this is a franchise. We're going to continue Oz forever. We're going to adapt the books. We're going to do all this stuff. This is going to be a big thing. They're kind of screwed. They have to have like lawyers on set <laughs> saying, mm-hmm. nah, that design too is close. too close. That's actionable. And it, so they are adapting a book, but they're not. So that's already like, you are fucking hamstrung. What are you doing? And but it's got name recognition. Everyone loves a 1939 movie. It, it, we talk about that on the show a lot. One of my favorite things to talk about in regarding Wizard of Oz and this show is the annual showing that when I was a little kid, it was a big fucking deal before any of us had home video. Once a year, yeah. a network shows Wizard of Oz around Thanksgiving and it's marketed for two weeks. It's a big deal. People families plan around it we did too my mom was a big fan we didn't own it on vhs when i was really little we do now it doesn't matter and it's can stream at any time i don't know what yeah, it even... I, i'm willing to bet that the vast majority of people wizard of oz is the oldest movie that they love sure po- yeah. totally yeah I, i'd say it's, it's, the it's you know oldest... 80 plus years old i I've, I've seen it like on an ad for like hbo go yeah and yeah. that is the <laughs> oldest movie i've seen like featured marketed as, like, Get our streaming service. Be, I, they sure as hell don't do that for Gone with the Wind. Mm-hmm. 
I do not think there's an older movie that you can get like marketing for like get our no. streaming service to watch this 1930s movie. I don't. And know I know you're correct because I, I know the promo you're talking about and they flash Humphrey Bogart from Casablanca and people that's older than Wizard of Oz is older than okay. Casablanca. It's, it's just yep. fun to point out. People think it's black and white. It must be older. It's not. Nope. It's, it's, nope. it's not it. old. Yeah. And, and of course, you can sit any kid down in front of Wizard of Oz yep. today. And yeah, it it's, it's always going to click. It's, People it's will just, get quotes a, from it. Frankly, Dorothy, I don't give a damn. <laughs> <laughs> but so Disney really wants to be in the Oz business. And they've tried this before with Return to Oz. Since the 50s. And they only managed to, they bought the rights like almost not immediately after Wizard of Oz became a hit, but the rest of the, like not all the other Oz books, but the rest of the Oz books, and the only thing they managed to get off the ground, it does, you can't even watch it anywhere, is a Mouseketeer starring TV movie set in the Oz world. And, and what mm-hmm. Diana just said, I think makes Return to Oz my favorite and most fascinating. It scared the absolute shit out of me, but it like legally needs to look so distinct and it does mm-hmm. so to, in such a, to such a jarring degree. I consider that one of the classics of my child. I love watching that movie. It is wild. It's, it is crazy that that exists. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, here they got the lawyer on set saying, uh, the Wicked Witch is too green. She's the wrong color green. Yeah. That's an actionable color green. <laughs> anyway, so Sam Raimi, who we love on this podcast, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how exactly he got involved because he's the guy who always has a ton of really interesting sounding projects and then they never seem to come together but here we go and uh, honestly the beginning of the movie that is done in black and white Mm -hmm. and old school ratio like that is really good Mm -hmm. and i can see Raimi's fingerprints on it and then it just goes to hell it it is a movie this movie goes to hell it barely exists there's like almost not a frame of it like was any of this even filmed or was it all drawn (laughs) there's there's not a lick of bully and i again i i I like some of the action sequences and 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 also want to say we we did ask last week like what was what was the audience for jack the giant slayer and now you can kind of see what they were like the studios knew they had an oz movie to contend with from disney so if they're gonna market this shit and create an audience for oz why not have a jack the giant slayer ready for everyone yes so i feel like putting them out so next to each other yeah a, a weird choice. It, it taught then, everyone a different lesson. <laughs> don't do this. Don't don't do this. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's technically it is a Wizard of Oz prequel. You know, it's about how the wizard got to Oz, but he's actually you know a carning con man mm-hmm. played by James Franco, who I'm pretty sure is asleep or just wicked <laughs> high. I like, I, and I think James Franco can be a really good actor. Believe mm-hmm. me, I defend. I I think 127 hours. I think he's fantastic in it. Mm-hmm. Everyone else pushed out wouldn't watch it, but he is so like everything everyone has ever said this bad about James Franco, including the weird, creepy stuff, mm-hmm. is so on display here. I'm like, oh, I get it now. Ooh, how is he so bored? And then to find out, like, oh, this was gonna be Robert Downey Jr. for a long time. Yep. It's like, yes, that guy can play a con man. And this guy just he is so boring. He's so gullible. Anyone who tells him something, he just believes them. And like I, every woman will destroy themselves for his attention. And it's like, dude, you don't even exist, man. <laughs> Who are you? I'd rather run off with the monkey. <laughs> Zach Braff is wonderful as the monkey. He's actually really good. I, I and, like and I like Rachel Weiss as like the the bean witch mm-hmm. because she's camping it up. She knows what she needs to do to make this connect. And uh, I just feel bad for everyone else except for James Franco. But this just like, I I, I didn't care about any of the characters. Mm-hmm. I was bored, which 
it shouldn't be boring except when like minor characters were doing something then i was interested but the main characters i i disliked them well no i just dislike james franco i like mila kunis too but why why are you you're hamstrung so what do you what do you do it here and like what is the story you're telling and it's stupid and sam raimi doesn't make a movie for nine years after this wow what wow nine years not until dr, dr. strange Strang- multiverse of madness okay he worked on the ash versus evil dead show he didn't i think he directed some he, but... i think he directed the pilot yeah 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 the, because i don't know why sam raimi was like it's just because everyone loves oz and he was like i want to do it justice i having when i, I went know, to when i went to man, Dis- i just when I went to when I went to Disney World, and when I'm talking box office numbers, when I went to Disney World in 2012, the resonance of Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland was fucking everywhere. As was the pirate stuff. You could see why they would bet on this, and you can see why. You know, Sam Raimi had he's a guy who still wears a suit on every set, like Alfred, like to look like Alfred Hitchcock. This is the big <laughs> studio payday you were waiting for. Take it, take it, mm-hmm. and I and he did. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure they were planning, oh, yeah, we'll build an Oz at Disney World and it'll be great. And there'll be a whole bunch because there's, yeah, like nine books. There's plenty of stuff they can dig into, but mm-hmm. you can't just, you can't adapt the Oz books totally fresh because people will feel disappointed. So you have to fold in some of the old stuff, but technically you can't. And so this is just about, yeah, this guy ends up in Oz and they're like, oh, you are the wizard who is foretold. And I'm like, well, anytime I hear the word foretold, I'm like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> And then they're like, oh, can you help us? And he's like, uh, snore. And they're like, oh, it turns out one of these witches is actually evil. I wonder who it's going to be. And so I don't care. It's, yeah, don't there care. was so much wasted potential here. I mean, yeah. it could have been really good. And it just failed. It mm-hmm. failed. I'm sorry. I watched it 10 years ago. And I just had no desire to rewatch to give it a second chance. It was just Mm-mm. the nothing film. There's yeah. no there there. Yeah. And, and when I say I liked it, I liked it on a plane being forced to watch this or two other movies on an international flight. It's difficult to say. Have you, have you ever done that on a plane where like you even see like a previous sitcom like this is hilarious. I laugh so much when you had fucking raw oxygen pumped into your veins and you got to stare straight <laughs> ahead and had no internet. He loved it. Yep. That was my experience with this. And I don't want to hate on Sam Raimi, but like, it's impossible to deny this. How could this movie, which made $500 million domestically, you want to talk about Avatar making, having no cultural resonance. This movie has zero, Mm -hmm. zero, like nobody remembers this. It made no imprint on the zeitgeist at all. And despite grossing half a billion dollars in America, no one asked for a sequel. They never promised one. <laughs> nothing is happening, and clearly nothing will happen. But I, I do believe Walt Disney himself, there was like a couple projects he had a massive heart on for, and Oz was one of them. He never wanted to let it go. And it, it didn't really seem possible because no, nobody wanted an animated one, which is kind of what he could do. Uh, <laughs> but, but Oz, given its rich history, like it has to be a series at this point. You got to reestablish mm. the books. You got to do it by the letter. You got to ignore the ruby slippers because nobody's going back. Uh, <laughs> or you go back and yeah. forth. Uh, because, because even... I mean, again, isn't some money better than no money? Just yeah. MGM. Just yeah. do something with that. Yeah. Everyone knows you have the, I guess it's Amazon now, isn't it? Yeah. Amazon mm. owns MGM. But but I okay. think Turner owns owns Wizard of Oz. Or sorry, Turner Turner via his MGM acquisition via Warner Warner flat out owns the movie yeah. Wizard of Oz. That's why it's it's so difficult. And they created so many original elements to that film that aren't in the book. It's impossible to remake 
the movie ever. Which, by the way, the movie makes everything all a dream and makes Oz not exist. Like, who who wants that? <laughs> like, Oz should exist. Dorothy should be able to go back to Oz. Not necessarily via an insane asylum. Return to Oz. <laughs> Jesus Christ. She shouldn't have to have electroshock therapy and talk to a chicken just to get back. Uh, I, I feel bad just for pretty much everybody involved. Like, you're trying, and I see you trying. It's written by the guy who wrote Rabbit Hole, which is not <laughs> a fun kids movie. But yeah, you're all trying, and just it's not landing. Little tiny bits here and there land, but just overall, ugh. It's an, yeah. it's an, it's an impossible, in hindsight, it's an impossible feat. And I don't know why you would cater to fans of the Oz books. I don't know that there's as many of them as there were even 40 years ago who care that much about sticking to the letter of the books. But you're making a prequel and cherry picking things you can use that aren't going to confuse people who watch the MGM version. Sorry, my cat jumped on something and I lost my train of thought. But like, <laughs> there, there, there's it's a it's got to be one of more Disney's fascinating failures. I think even more fascinating, like, like the Lone Ranger, mm. um, the the hubris to think you could do this and turn this into a yeah. franchise in the 2010s is just astonishing. Astonishing that they would do this and that yeah. nobody talks about this. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, like you said, the movie could make 500 million dollars, and everyone could just be like, "Well, that happened." Yeah. Like, that, are we finally are we finally at the end of these like adapting children's stories <laughs> things? Can we please be at the end of this run? No, because they're still making uh, Marvel movies and those were always for children. Don't let them uh, fool you. True. Don't let them fool you. But yeah, Disney I, I love seeing Disney fallible because even Tron, something that failed so miserably, I'm watching people in Florida fall over themselves to get preview tickets to the roller coaster that's coming <laughs> in 2023. Oz has nothing. Like, if you think of something that would be perfectly perfect to integrate into Fantasyland, Oz, mm -hmm. the land of Oz, I think only France has, like, a little tiny piece of a return to Oz you can find in Disneyland Paris. Mm -hmm. But other than that, there's nothing, nothing. And uh, Oz theme parks have been built all over the world, and Disney has not been able to figure it out. And if Disney can't figure it out, you probably can't figure it out either. So <laughs> I'll ask my mom, what would you like to see? He's missing two books, by the way. If anybody out there can help me scare up first edition of books for her Oz collection. Oh, yeah. First editions. Goodness. I mean, she's been collecting them since she was like a kid in the 50s. Mm -hmm. uh, she doesn't go, She doesn't use eBay. She just like if she's in like a small town with a bookstore, found one. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. Ten years later, found another. Found another. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what she's been doing. They're all on a shelf. I've never seen anybody take them down and read them, but including myself. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, the Oz world is rich. They were making new Oz books when I was a little kid that I would read in like this is baffling. This is still kind of baffling and way too all over the place. Douglam's Adamsy. Yeah, top is down, mm -hmm. backwards and forwards. Yeah. This character's evil, but thinks evil is good. It, like it's just so wacky. I don't know what you do with Oz. I kind of I hate saying keep everything as it is because maybe it's a richer universe than that. I, I but uh, the original Wizard of Oz movie is special for reasons beyond the books. Just as far as music and cinematography and performances, it's 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 better than a good book. You know, it's, it, it, it's resonated for people for so many different reasons. And maybe that's yeah. just all we're going to end up having with Oz at the end of the No, day. nope. Oh, what are we Wicked. doing? Wicked's coming, Th honey. This, this is. They are filming Wicked right now. This is because of Wicked though. It, it yep. spurs the production of this movie, the success of Wicked. And it still mm -hmm. takes for fucking ever, for fucking ever. It is just bizarre to think about how quickly they can. I just wrote the Guardians of the Galaxy ride, which is a, was a nothing property at Marvel 10 years ago. And they 
can't get a fucking Wizard of Oz project of universe off the ground with a streaming site and a cruise line and owning half the movie theaters. What the fuck? They can't do it. You can't do it mm-hmm. either. Oh, yeah. I don't know what to do with Oz. I'd love to hear yeah. something from a and, big Oz well, fan the, out there. The, the word is they're going to milk Wicked into two movies is what mm. they're going to do. Oh, oh God. God. Which is stupid. Don't do that. Stop it. Oz should be a series. It should be a Disney Plus series. Do it big. Do it right. Do it all. Mm. Um, or, or don't do it at all. Anyway, mm. we can move on to Leave it alone. 2013 TV. Vikings debuts on the History Channel, which yeah. I, I love these little shows. Their history is like, well, we give up. <laughs> we're just gonna do uh, this now <laughs> no i think this is called you want game of thrones because we can do game of thrones yeah yeah we can and do it cheaper and we can do it based on more history yeah it's not 100 percent historically accurate which i'm <laughs> fine with okay mm-hmm. they they play fast and loose they have some characters who are real but who are separated by over a hundred years. And that's something that <laughs> happens once you go to the far past. You're like, oh, yeah, whatever. The 1200s and the 1300s, it's all the same. Mm-hmm. And I, I can just imagine, you know, people in the 30th century going, yeah, yeah, Abraham Lincoln is fighting World War II. It's basically the same. Yeah, Leif Erickson, <laughs> Eric the Red, they're best friends. They grew up together. <laughs> Why not? But it's a fantastic life. show because these are not 21st century people wearing Viking costumes. You know, that's something a lot of shows about the past don't get right is how alien the past mindset is, mm-hmm. how utterly different people think. And this show really gets into it. Uh, the Viking pagan mindset is just shown to be what it is. It's just this is how we think. This is how we exist. And that's who we are. Uh, They have a lot of really interesting characters. I think the series, I think you can stop watching when the main character dies Mm -hmm. because they try Mm -hmm. to carry on after that. And it it doesn't really go anywhere. Mm -hmm. At at least it doesn't go as good as it did up until the main character died. And they killed the main character because that's what happens in history. I I feel bad that I've not. I, I watched a couple episodes and I, I dropped off and I keep meaning to go back because first of all, I realized it's created by Michael Hurst who wrote Elizabeth with Kate Blanchett, which I oh. love that movie. And because it was, it, it gives me a lot of vibes of Rome, which was, Ooh, oh, you know, my favorite show. Game, love Game that. of Thrones before Game of Thrones, where it's the same thing where it's like, well, we're following history, but we're kind of compressing things like that actually took 20 years to happen, but we're going to have it be the next day. And you just bring in lots of like, Irish character actors to do stuff. But <laughs> my, my favorite thing about it is my parents watch this I all the time. I was just going to say, it. this is what Never I was going to say. Game of Thrones, but they love Vikings. I was going to say, your mom, this is what my mom watched before she became obsessed with Yellowstone in between uh-huh. her Game of Thrones viewings. Um, and I yeah. loved when they would describe what, what had happened. You know, because anytime, you know, they're like, and then there was a big wedding, but then it turned out that this guy, you know, and then another guy got stabbed. And then it turns out Ivar the Boneless was coming. And I'm like, Ivar the Boneless. (laughs) He was so slithery. Here he goes. (laughs) And I, 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 half Dan the Black attacked. I'm like, oh, not half Dan. That son of a bitch. Where's the whole day? I was never more fascinated with the Vikings after going to Iceland, where the Vikings hung out. And like, what happened to the trees? Like, the Vikings. What happened to the soil? The Vikings. Like, the Vikings (laughs) just, like, just lack of a better word, raped this land for everything it had and left it 
totally unsettleable and it still hasn't grown back yet after all these years they really wow. really messed up the whole landscape of everything vikings debuts in history it's six seasons in a spinoff mm-hmm. no no bad yeah it's almost community level there are, are you tougher than a boy scout debuts on national g i love channel drift baby you know i love channel this, drift <laughs> this is exactly what it sounds like adults oh are competing against boy scouts and it's a fair fight because you're talking about these boy scouts who have been trained to do these things since they were cub scouts going against grown-ass adults who do not have that learned experience but you I know mean, I, were you in the boy scouts i was i was briefly you know who trained me adults who were also <laughs> in the boy scouts right but those adults <laughs> tended to be scouts and they right. tended to at least get training before they train you True. you know if you take an adult who was never a scout, which is what I think most of these people are, it's people who never joined the Boy Scouts, and it's like, okay, you're a forty-year-old accountant. Pitch it, a tent. It, it would not Pitch be. It would not be interesting the other way around. Your Just way home. We put a Boy Scout up against an experienced Eagle Scout. Your church chief is crooked. That lady's crossing the street by herself. Like, oh Jesus, Mean Dad the movie. That's what the show would be. <laughs> You got to get some Portlanders into uh, into the. <laughs> Are you tougher than a Boy Scout show? <laughs> some uh, San, metropolitan San Franciscans. How do we make yeah. foam for my coffee? <laughs> I I decry the actual title of the show. I'm definitely tougher than a Boy Scout because I menstruate. There you go. Now, am I more skilled than a Boy Scout? Okay, I don't know. Probably not, but I, I bet you Diana can fucking whip up a way for me to survive clothing-wise faster than any goddamn Boy Scout <laughs> could put on a merit badge. Yeah. I'm yeah, positive. who sews on those merit badges, bitch? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> the den mother. I can sew like a motherfucker. That's kind of my survival plan for, you know, if I were in the Middle Ages or after the apocalypse. Like, well, I'll fix that for you. You want, you need me to fix your shirt? It's okay. I, I wasn't I'll trade you. <laughs> I was not saying that as like red meat for the feminist fire. I I love that my I have a fr- a couple friends like, yeah, I've discovered camping. I want to go camping. You want to go on it? And I just like full Jerry sign for them. That's okay. Like, well, why not? Like, my dad forced me to camp all the time. I was in the Boy Scouts. I was in the Indian Guides. I went on Outward Bound. I lived on a river for a month, making fires without matches and cooking, eating whatever I could. I did this. And you know what I was dreaming of then? Netflix streaming. That's what I was dreaming of. The ability to watch any movie I wanted, any time I wanted. I no longer feel the need to stick my thumb in the eye of nature and tell it, ah, I can survive you. I know it's going to be difficult and I can maybe do it. I love air conditioning and internet. I'll never go camping again. (laughs) And and one of the reasons I won't, and that's why I brought up seamstressing or something like that, because I can never sleep outside. I'm always too cold. I'm too big for most sleeping bags. And you know what it's like if you're camping for days and you can't sleep? Because you're too cold, you go nuts. Like everything's bad. You're angry the whole time. I fucking hate camping and I'll never do it again (laughs) if I have to. But you know, the way things are going in my 60s, I'll probably be camping the rest of my life (laughs) somewhere on the outskirts of Canada. But are you tougher than the Boy Scout is? I mean, now I'll beat up like six Boy Scouts in front of you and like, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. Of course I'm tougher. I have my fireman's chip. What are they going to do to me? I got my driver's license. (laughs) Uh, um, I've had to. I've had to get a mortgage. You know how tough that is? I got mold remediation companies giving me quotes this week. Yeah. That's tougher than a Boy Scout. Did you establish your podcast with the IRS? 
Well, go fuck yourself. You don't know anything, Boy Scout. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, yes, if I've never told that story again, I was an Indian guide, the hippy dippy version of the Boy Scouts until that ran out. Went in the Boy Scouts and like, these guys are fucking nuts. And this program is draconian and I hate it. Uh, and I quit immediately. I, w- I had a tribunal to kick me out and like, I will just walk away. I don't want to be involved in this. This sucks. I hate the Boy Scouts. But that airs on yeah, the, I, <laughs> the National Geographic. I wanted to be a Boy Scout. I, I didn't like being a Girl Scout because I wanted to learn like not tying and shit. And yeah. we didn't do that. Yeah. Now you can be a, a Boy Scout if you're a girl or, you know, non-binary or whatever. And I'm super, super mad about it. I'm because curious. I'm jealous. I'm curious if you can do it outside of a church, which I wasn't able to do. And it was a lot of churching. In less not tying in some See, of these Boy Scout programs. That's the thing about the Scouts. It's what are the parents into? Yep. Because mm-hmm. that's who really runs the the Scouts, is the local parent who cares enough to be around 20 10-year-olds yeah. <laughs> for hours at a time each week. And if that person really cares about the church, that's what's going to get yeah. taught. I mm-hmm. had zero religion in any of my Scout meetings as I mean. a kid. And my son has had zero in his because... Those are the scout troops we join. And it all depends upon the parents. As much in life, who shows up? That's who's in control. Yeah. The person who shows up is in control. Yes. The people who want to indoctrinate and or molest. They're the ones who show up for the scouts. <laughs> Jess, I, that's a terrible statement. I'm sorry. I don't mean that because JR is saying there's plenty of good scout people out there. There and, are. And, and my dad was one of those people too. He's just like, no, I just love camping. I want to camp with you. Like, once a month no. can we do that yeah sure dad and again no camping experience was as great till i found we found across two miles a completely torn apart full-bodied mannequin in the woods and set it together and like tied it to a wasn't a crucifix but like what else do you assemble the arms and appendages of a mannequin to next to the fire and it remains like if aliens walked upon us they just turned the car around like it just looked it looked so cool and savage <laughs> okay but as an adult you realize the only reason someone would drag a mannequin out to the oh middle of the woods oh is for <laughs> You can fill in the rest. I can, but JR, I'm telling you, it was fiberglass. It hurt my fingers to touch the seams of it. That is someone's fetish, Chris, oh, I God. guarantee. Oh, God. Yeah, why do you think I have all these tweezers? Ba- I have the tweezer badge. Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> Moving on to video games of 10 years ago, the slightly fascinating Castlevania Lords of Shadow Mirror of Fate for 3DS. The, I think, not necessarily crucial interquel to the non-portable other two Lords of Shadows. This this is the first two and a half D Castlevania game. Sort of, yeah. I mean, there've been yeah. two and a half D traditional. This is Lord of Shadows started out as a weird Spanish game that had nothing to do with Castlevania that Konami whipped Castlevania onto, and it's fucking great. It fits really well. Oh, okay. But this was the it was supposed to be the savior of that franchise, and it ended up being the end. But this is the one that came out for 3DS. I think you can get this for modern consoles in a collection because this is the middle of the two you know for lack of a better word current gen next gen regular console versions and i have not played much of it no i did play a bunch of sonic dash for ios one of my least favorite sonic games but yeah it's an endless runner which is a complete fit for sonic uh looking it up it appears that this was downloaded 100 million times within its first year and I've never heard of it before this moment. I mean, to me, that just shows that, you know, apps and games on your phone are so 
ephemeral. Yeah. Unless they're like the exception, you know, your your Angry Birds are the exception. Which they um, just removed it, for being too competitive with their free-to-play services. <laughs> yeah. Candy Crush is the exception, but there's got to be so many hundred million downloaded games that are just like, no one really cares about that now. Yeah. I think we're going to touch on a well. No, no, we'll we'll end up touching on some of them as we go forward with this show because this is really when that when it's taken off. Yeah, that's take. But the freemium model starts taking off because iPhone mm-hmm. games used to cost something, mean that there was a beginning and, and an end to the game. Once they started adding in freemium elements, they wouldn't allow the game to end until it became unprofitable, when it would then be removed entirely. So it couldn't be enjoyed the way I grew up enjoying games. I, I don't mean to shit on iOS games, but like for me, games I do. Are, they're horrible. <laughs> a lot of times, yes. But you know, Marvel Snap is one this year that was that came out last year. Super fun. Played it today. It, then moving on to another. This is a full fledged game and kind of the death of the, one of the biggest series in all gamedom. Hate. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Sim City. Win. Sim City. Uh, Sims- it's called SimCity, but everyone mm-hmm. refers to it as SimCity 2013 mm-hmm. or SimCity, the one that sucks and everyone hates it. And if you <laughs> like it, you're garbage. Okay. <laughs> this is the SimCity where they got the bright idea of, hey, you know how you can create these sprawling, epic cities that stretch and cover everything? We don't want you to do that anymore. Mm. Basically, we want you to play SimCity as if it's Sim Town, and you get to control this small little town that has to be connected to the internet every second of the day so you can connect to Strangers Town, yeah. and the strangers will give you garbage or electricity or water, and it'll all be this always online wonderful experience, and it was horrible. It was buggy. It was broken Everyone from the outside. hated it. It broke. There were microtransactions as a blatant yeah. crash grab. Mm-hmm. It was laughable how simplistic and unrealistic this game was compared to the previous SimCity. Mm-hmm. You could play the SimCity that we talked about last week or the week before that was 10 years old in 2013, and it would be a much better experience, much more in-depth, much more immersive than this game, which just had the stupidest model possible. Yeah, I remember covering it in the games press because a lot of people had forgotten about SimCity because the Sims were huge. And they're like, oh, every person in your your SimCity is going to be a potential Sim. And it's just like, I don't know that this is the same audience. And this is, they want pe- those people want the same things. One is about like maintaining a human relationship. And the other one is about city planning. And I was just talking to a friend the other day and like he did that. There's a ton of other Sims skylines there's a ton of other sim city games but ea has never gone back other than like one ios game to readdress one of the biggest franchises in all gaming since 10 years ago because of how colossal a failure it was it's a bummer it's a bummer why can't there be a sim city game now doesn't make any sense and... they, well skylines skylines mm-hmm. does everything you want sim city to do mm-hmm. but better yeah that's what yeah. i hear that's what i hear and then lastly we got tomb raider for windows ps3 360 and an ends up becoming another odd, frustrating failure in terms of the game is unbelievably great. Laura Croft has never been better. Turns it less from a rating game of this unbelievably gorgeous survival game where Laura just has all these methods way tougher than a fucking Boy Scout crafting her own <laughs> arrows and, and, and mechanics. And it's the first big one after the acquisition of IDOS by Square Enix. And... I remember the game sold like 6 million copies and they were like, that wasn't enough compared to how much we paid for the, this game to exist. 
And there were three sequels that are also really great, very similar because they had to utilize all the money they made making the first one into the next two. And then cut to last year, Square Enix sells off one of the biggest properties ever in the form of Tomb Raider and several other properties for pennies because they just have no idea what to do with them. Hitman, Mm -hmm. um, trying to make Deus Ex, like all these amazing properties like you could have gotten for like a 10 of million dollars, which seems insane there's a net there's an amazon series coming out with tomb raider this year like how is this only this is one part of this and only worth this much sorry frustrating you can hear more about me bitching on video games on video game apocalypse i should tell you that where i go further in depth into my happiness and anger regarding the little industry that brought me to podcasting uh with mr diana goodman michael raparez and maddie c allen diana where can we find you can you can find me on the Twitter at Listenerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast, that's 302010podcast. Coming up next week, we we still have some weird shit to deal mm-hmm. with. Not necessarily good or bad, just weird. Uh, we got Frankie Muniz is a spy. We've got <laughs> Steve Carell and Jim Carrey are going to have some sort of wizard battle. And we've got the first of two rap versions of Spinal Tap. Yeah, both nice. great. And and Harrison Ford will reprise his role as Indiana Jones. Ooh. Is there a way to watch that, Jr.? Yeah. Like, is it on Disney Plus? It's on Amazon, I believe. Okay. Prime. Let me check on that. Abe Simpson will tie an onion on his belt, which was <laughs> style. the style at the time. <laughs> the Super FX graphic chip makes its debut in a game which furry pilots will love. <laughs> and and I think we the, talked earlier about something based on a lie, perhaps the most well-done movie ever based on a lie. Yeah. And, yep. Yeah. Interesting. And the ruler of one-fifth of humanity will be replaced twice. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Okay. And an and an Ultron age begins. Mm. Wait, in the comics, in the pages or the screen? In the pages of the comics. Boy, is that an adaptation in name only? Holy shit! I remember that story very well. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember in that movie where a invisible woman and Wolverine teamed up? No, no, that wasn't in the movie, was it? it... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, tune in next week for 302010. But until that time, we have a little quiz you can play along with uh, who was born, who died. Oh, and yeah, $5 Patreon. We go in depth on some of the 80s movie stuff Diana talks about in Classic Corner. And we got some fun stuff coming up for you in addition to hundreds of other podcasts there. <laughs> Thanks for your support. I need some water. Die. Who died during this week of 302010? Well, in 1993 is when we lost Billy Eckstein, who was 78. He was a jazz trumpeter, singer, big band leader, mm. the kind of people that the guys in Swing Kids would have hated, you know, the Nazis. <laughs> and his band was kind of the first bebop band, which means he's pretty instrumental in the creation of rock and roll. Yeah. Then that same week, we also lost Albert Sabin, who is 86, who is uh, someone people should know that name. He developed not the polio vaccine, but the oral polio vaccine. And uh, saved probably millions of lives. So the, before any vaccines, 58,000 people in the U.S. had pol- came down with polio every year, and 3,000 of them died. Then they developed a polio vaccine that worked on one strain, and it was an injection. So rollout was doing pretty well with that. But then Sabin came up with a vaccine that got all three strains of polio, and it's oral. So you can just put it on a sugar cube and pop it. It travels better. It's easier to give out. And uh, last year, in the entire world, there were two cases of polio. Wow. 
It's close enough to wipe that as you can get, I guess. We're going to see it wiped out. Yeah. Afghanistan and Pakistan, there's a tiny little spot there where they still haven't quite gotten it. And it it. gives me hope maybe while I'm in Florida, I can eventually throw the COVID vaccine in a vape and start blowing that to people's faces at Epcot. We're just (laughs) fucking willing to give the disease to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. We are so, so close to wiping out polio. I just, I wasn't alive to see smallpox gone. I want to see this one, man. That'd be fascinating. I want to see us wipe out something that's been around for probably tens of thousands of years. And all it does is fuck with us and we're going to get them. And then anyway, uh, 2003, get vaccinated for fuck's sake. Just Mm -hmm. get vaccinated for everything. Please. 2003, we lost uh, experimental filmmaker Stan Brackage, who is 70. Mm. He was, uh, if you haven't seen his stuff, he was very influential. You've almost definitely seen things that influenced him. Uh, David Lynch's stuff. Oh, there you go. And with the deaths out of the way, we got to get into the that that Phoenix Rising. Birthday! (laughs) Sorry, Jay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, birthday is a doodly doo. A ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. Born March. 5th 1936 in north hollywood Hmm. uh he is no longer with us he died in 2021 at the age of 85 but he would be 87 if he had lived his father voiced the prince in snow white and the seven what i should know this yes wow he was in a new york production of carousel in oklahoma this is his father he was a child actor who uh started working for mgm and was hired in 1945 for Anchors Away. Oh, God. Oh. Is, that the, is that the one with Jerry the Mouse in it? It might be. No. No? No? Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sometimes I get Anchors Away and All in the Town confused because they both have sailors in them. <laughs> <laughs> Primarily known for television, he still has appeared in movies. Movies of his that we've talked about include Blue Velvet, 1986. Oh, Beverly gotcha. Hills Cop 2, 1987. Mm-hmm. I forgot he's a child actor. Son of an actor. You're, I did yeah. not know. Oh, Diana knows I don't. Snow White, though. I know he's in Rebel Without a Cause. That both him and his dad are. Jim Backus? the man in his dream. <laughs> Married to the mob. Is it Harry the Dean Stanton? It is Harry Dean Stanton. Okay. okay. Wow. I was wrong. Sorry. I was No, I'm sorry. I, I, I heard wait, you wait, said wait. Dean. I heard you said Dean, and I, it's Dean <laughs> Stockwell. Dean Stockwell. Dean Stockwell. Oh, Dean Stockwell, shit. Your quantum Dean leap guy. Stockwell, yep. Yep. Okay, I, I actually called it too soon. I was thinking Dennis Hopper. Because no. Dennis- he was in Rebel Without a Cause too. Jesus. And his dad is, yeah. What? But no. Yeah, Dennis wow. Hopper's dad was an actor. Yeah, but like to have all that family on set during a, a movie about angsty teens, Jesus Christ. I know. You think maybe Dennis Hopper had any demons inside that <laughs> no. maybe came eventually? I don't know. Dude, Dean Stockwell was the fucking man. Yeah. I I loved him in Quantum Leap, and I loved him in Battlestar Galacta. That was yeah. such an amazing final performance yeah. for him. What, is, that, uh-huh. is that his final performance, or like one of his final he performances? He retired after that. Yeah. Wow, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was fucking good. Um, oh, gosh. What was I thinking? Oh, Gentleman's Agreement. I, mm. I brought up on Classic Corner, uh, Best Picture winner for, was it 47? Lil Dean Stockwell. He's like eight. You, you can't even recognize him. You can't tell that he's going to grow up to be Dean Stockwell. Wow. <laughs> I'm glad I know that now. It's time we close up the show because my cat is being an asshole for some reason. Mm. Oh, boy. Because he's a cat. She. Uh, she. <laughs> a little figgy. Oh, that's right. All, all cats are girls. Uh, all cats are girls, yeah. especially this one. Chris, watch the cat episode of Sandman on Netflix and tell me what you think. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So 
Yeah, neither Diana or I took that one, I suppose. No. Yeah, no, maybe a lucky up. listener out there got it. Write in and tell us who, and you'll win a prize. Could just be an emoji. Yeah. But we're going to close out with, I think, an inarguably kind of kinetic song, Are You Gonna Go My Way? I When this came out, I was so happy. Great video. I love this song so much. I was like, yes, just just, just go Hendrix, baby. Yeah. Just hardcore riffing and kicking ass. Yeah, it felt it felt like a '70s song coming out in an era of a '70s glam song coming out in an era of grunge, and it wasn't like. And I, Lenny Kravitz is constantly makes music that like irritates the shit out of me. It sounds like he's making them for commercials half the time. I love this thing. <laughs> what a great thing! Put it in a Ford commercial. <laughs> I can't. St- <laughs> but this song like has such a great riff, and the video is so cool, so cool, mm-hmm. like a like a Mad Max rock concert. Yeah, are you gonna go my way? By Lenny Kravitz, not uh, Tom Jones. There, I forgot, I forgot his name. Tune in next week. Patreon.com/slash/LaserTime. We'll see you next week. Tell a friend. Bye.